Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's January 28th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can email me, Jason at OverTheCap.com. As usual, I am joined by Nellie, but Nellie seems to be inside in hiding tonight uh, inside her little house, so she got a treat in there. Didn't even want to come out for the treat. I'm assuming uh, Nellie will make an appearance later on, uh, but for now, Nellie has uh, decided to be in hiding. Uh, our beer of the night, uh, since we're doing this on a Saturday here, uh, we've got the other half Green Diamonds. This is their double IPA. This is pretty good. I don't remember who it was that suggested this. It was either Brad or Kevin Cole. I, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, th this is this is pretty good. So for when I am off the uh, low-carb stuff, I will say that this is definitely a, uh, a pretty good option. Um, is to try the, the beers from this company. I, I think they're a pretty good brewery uh, from the little bits that I've sampled from there. So that's what we're going with tonight. Uh, I will send a happy birthday wish out to my mom. It was her birthday a couple days ago. Um, so happy birthday, mom. Usually they can make it through, I think, about the first five minutes maybe of these podcasts before they fall asleep. So uh, th this one, I'll get it in that first minute there. So they, they should get uh, get a hold of that one. Uh, didn't get a chance to record for like the last week and a half. Um, was just a little too busy. And then, you know, the way the football games kind of worked out, I couldn't really fit it in there. And then last week, once again, I did, uh, I had some car, it weren't really car troubles, but spent a lot of time trying to get the car fixed. Basically went in to get a uh, oil change done in my wife's car, come out to find out <laughs> that the tire was all wrecked up. The alignment got messed up. I'm sure it's one of the uh, classic Jersey pothole kind of things. Um, so the one tire was all messed up, had to go around to try and figure out where I could find some place that actually had the tire to fit the car. Uh, finally got that by the time they changed it. I felt like I lost half the day there. Then as it turned out, they, uh, needed a new tire stem that they didn't put on. Usually they do. I don't know why they didn't do it or why they didn't ask about it. Cause I would have said to put it on. One of the tires wasn't holding pressure. I said, all right, well, we'll go the next day. So I tried to rush through a workout in the morning so I could get and do that. And when, you know, I did something stupid and kind of screwed up my back again a little bit. Uh, not too, too bad. Um, holding out a couple days. But if you hear me fidgeting a lot in the chair, that's probably what it's from. From I'll go back to, uh, I've got a couple times already this week lifting and I'll, I'll go tomorrow and you know, do something light. Uh, so that's that's why we're doing the beer tonight. We won't do anything too heavy since uh, this is basically like a um, little bit of a physical therapy session after this one. I think I just twisted wrong. I think I just did one too many reps. And I think my body just said, ah, you know, you're, you're done. Let's take a break for a minute and then we'll go up. And I think I just decided uh, to do one more. And I think I just twisted. This was on a deadlift and it was a trap bar. So, I mean... Usually don't get screwed up with that. So I was not expecting it at all, but I wasn't lifting with a belt on. I, I don't usually use a belt on those until, you know, really, really until I get to uh, like a much heavier weight on them. But uh, if I try it at all tomorrow, I'll probably load the thing up with no more than like 185 pounds or something like that. And uh, I'll be wearing a belt for everything um, tomorrow. And then you know, once I get back to normal, which will probably take one more week, I would think to, to kind of get back to normal, but I'll, I'll lower the stuff, but I'll probably start using a belt again at like 315 or something like that. And, uh, you know, make sure I don't do anything too stupid, but usually I don't really need a belt on that kind of thing until well over 400 pounds. So I didn't expect this. This was a little bit under 400 and I, I think it was just one too many. So anyway, such is life. Um, there it goes. 
Um, next week, uh, just to mention, because I know a lot of people do listen to this, that go to it, I, I believe is the uh, two-lane competition. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to attend this year. This is the first competition uh, that I'll miss. A little disappointed about it. Uh, I was kind of hoping, you know, the last couple of years have been COVID, so it would have been nice to uh, get back. And it, it's always nice to see people again, you know, whether it's judges, whether it's uh, people who work at the university or uh, people who are advisors for some of the schools that constantly go, um, you know, I, I was kind of hoping to catch up with them. You know, you, you get to see them on Zoom when you do these, but it is, uh, it's not, it's not as nice as just seeing somebody and having a five minute conversation with them just to see, you know, how they're doing and how everything's going. So hopefully next year I'll be able to go again. Uh, but for everybody who's going, anyone who's going, uh, good luck. Um, I guess you can always email, email me for advice since I'm not uh, judging this year. I know it's a little bit uh, short notice for that, but if anyone feels like doing that, feel free and uh, I'll try and give you a hand um, for anything you can expect from it. Um, but if you haven't done the competition before and this is your first time, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm sure it's nerve wracking when you first go. And when we got there, we would see people studying in the bar, like a bunch of us would be out at the bar and you see all the people in there studying and, you know, getting ready, preparing and just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, but hey, you know, you're, you're looking to win. So I, I guess uh, the more prep work that you can do, the, the better. But the main thing is just enjoy yourself. And, you know, it's a great networking opportunity. I, I don't know who's going this year since I'm not. So I, I don't know who will be there, who won't be. But I'm sure there's going to be a couple people from some teams that are there. I know a couple of agents who are going to be there. Um, you know, some are going to be younger, some are going to be older. You know, just interact with everybody that you can that's there. Uh, other people who are competing. And if you're looking to work in the NFL, you know, make sure to talk to the judges who are going to be there. Everybody is very approachable. Everybody is more than happy to give you a couple of minutes of their time. Trust me, uh, we would go. I remember one year um, Bryce and I were there and it was like, okay, are we going to eat? You try to eat. <laughs> and then it's like you don't get a couple minutes even to yourself. You're always just talking, 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 talking with somebody. Don't worry about it. There's plenty of places the judges can go eat afterwards. Um, so if you're at it at a uh, at a part of this when they have like a social or something, you know, feel free to talk to whomever's there and ask as many questions as you can because you won't get another opportunity like this. You know, even if you're someone who goes to the combine uh, in hopes of networking there, combine, you know, it's like a so many people. Um, you know, it's it's difficult unless you know the people sometimes to get more than just a couple of minutes. Uh, and there, there's a lot of people who, are, who go to the combine that are willing to, to meet with people they've never met with before just to discuss careers with a, you for a couple of minutes. But it, it's a lot different. It's a lot different setting. So take advantage of it if you're going to be there. So uh, let's, let's get into some football-related stuff now. And the big news of the week um, is really all centered around Aaron Rodgers. You know, it, it's just so amazing the way that this kind of career path has followed the Brett Favre model all the way down to basically saying, hey, the Jets want to get this guy. It, it's absolutely amazing. You know, who who would have thought that when he got into the league, I don't know, what was it, 17 years ago uh, at this point? You know, it, it was a long time ago, um, you know, when Rodgers came into the league. Uh you know, but it's almost like the same exact career path. You know, Brett Favre watches a quarterback get drafted in the first round, probably not happy about it. 
Um, ends up quarterbacking the team for a little bit. Now, he he does more of the retirement dance than Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers does that retirement dance as well. And, you know, you, you just kind of get into this, you know, I want to play, I don't want to play, I want to play, don't want to play. And now it's kind of the same thing. Um, he doesn't have any power over where he gets traded to if he gets traded. Um, the only thing he can do is basically say, well, if I'm not going to play for you, well, then I'm not going to play for you. Uh, but the Green Bay is more or less said they're only going to trade him to the AFC. So that limits kind of the teams that are going to be involved. And, you know, when you just look at it here, um, you know, when we, we look at the AFC teams, you know, obviously the Jets are going to be interested in that. You know, Woody, I am sure Woody sees that and just sees, you know, jersey sales and sees a back page and is like, okay, you know, let's go for it. But I mean, you you look at the teams. I know there's Tua in Miami. Um, you know, Miami could use a quarterback. New England could use a quarterback. The Jets obviously can use a quarterback. Um, you know, the AFC South, the Colts could use a quarterback. Though I I don't think it makes as much sense for them. You know, same with the Texans uh, or the Titans um, for that matter. The Raiders. You know, uh, Denver's stuck. So I mean, they they can't really do anything. But there will certainly be a market for him uh, that does exist, which I'm not sure I would have said uh, a couple of months ago when I first published the article looking at the Packers' options and what they could or couldn't do with him. But the way the season kind of ended, I, I think you kind of looked at it and said, okay, you know, physically he hasn't broken down. Um, maybe the beginning of the year was the pouty Aaron Rodgers, which does happen. Um, you know, he was just upset with the, the lack of moves that the team made and really the lack of help that they got him, um, you know, with the receivers and the receiving core. So, you know, I, I think um, teams, the, the way that everything ended and seeing the way he played down the stretch, I think teams are going to be more confident um, that he can give them two seasons. And I, I think when you get into a trade, that's what has to happen. Now, I, I've updated Rogers' webpage to reflect what the trade value would be. It screws up some of the other numbers that are there, not the cap hits. But since we, um, you know, calculate everything, it, it kind of screws up the numbers a little bit here and there. Uh, but it should reflect right now the, the right numbers for cutting him in 2023 trading him in 2023 and all the post June one stuff in 2023. Um, but there, there's some other things with it that are a little bit weird. Uh, and I, I've said that pretty much since day one, that it's a contract that, you know, most of the things you can just read a cap table. This is one of those where you got to kind of read the notes and follow through and maybe read an article on it or whatever. But essentially um, the way his deal works is this year is guaranteed to him. So he's going to play football, all right? He's going to make almost $60 million. So there's no logical reason for him to walk away. Like, even if the Packers said, well, you know, we, we want you to, uh, you know, we want you to back up Jordan Love, you know, and we're going to trade you away. Yeah, they can trade him. But, you know, if he doesn't want to go to that team, what, what are those teams really going to give up for him? I don't think too much. So, you know, I think the Packers are in a situation where they either have to trade him or you get stuck with having to pay him 60 million bucks. 
And I think first we look at this trade from the Green Bay Packers perspective. And a lot of people, I think, are wondering, why does this make sense for Green Bay? Because it doesn't seem like Green Bay is against this move at all, right? This is not like um, Green Bay is begging him to come back and trying to get him to say, boy, I want to be in Green Bay next year. This is more along the lines of, eh, you know, we'll we'll do what's best. We'll, we'll do whatever we think. And here's the deal for Green Bay, all right? If Green Bay follows through on this contract, they're going to have to pay him this year. He probably won't earn his workout bonus, but whatever. Um, they're going to have to pay him this year $59,515,000. So $59.5 million for what might be one year. All right, next year, he has um, $49.25 million that's guaranteed for injury. So God forbid he gets hurt. You might be getting one season of play, and you're looking at paying him, uh, let's see, you know, about $109 million for those two years. That's a lot of money. All right, that, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of salary cap space. That, that's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with. Right now, the contract is relatively tradable, okay? Aaron Rodgers for Green Bay is going to count for $31.6 million on the salary cap if he is on the football team, all right? If they trade him, that number does grow, but it grows to uh, about 40, um, 40.8. Let's see how much. Let me just pull it up. Trade grows to 40.3 million. So, you know, you're going to lose about 8.7 million in cap space. That's not the end of the world. Um, you know, it's not great. And obviously the Packers salary cap position is not great. You, if you look at the Packers for this year, um, let's just see where they're at. Let me pull them up. So the Packers for this year are about $20 million over the cap. Uh, no, I'm sorry, $16 million over the cap. Uh, the $20 million would be with their rookie pool included. So about $16 million over the cap. Uh, you add eight onto that, you know, that, that gets you to about $24 million over, over the cap. You know, we don't know what the cap is going to be, so that's all give or take a little bit. And, you know, then you can start to get into... Different kind of decisions. Remember, the Packers don't do guarantees with with players. Um, you know, now, I, would you get rid of David Bakhtiari? You know, you'd create 5.7. Obviously, you would have a lot of dead money on your hands if you did that. Um, but, you know, that might be a player you consider, you know, moving on from with Rodgers gone. Uh, you know, he's hurt a lot last year. He's been banged up. You know, that's a player that you can move on from. You can free up $10 million by moving on from Aaron Jones. Um, you know, that's $15 million that you create there. You can extend a player like Gary. You can create some cap room there. I'm um, just seeing other players that would save him some money. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure they'd be happy with keeping Russell Douglas. Um, you know, but they can, they can kind of pick and choose some of these players. You know, Kenny Clark, I'm sure they're going to keep him. Um, you know, the, just because there's so much dead money involved there. Um, you know, so I, I would guess that you, you get into another restructure with him to lower his cap number a little bit, but you know, if they wanted to, 
Yeah, you don't. You'd only gain three uh, with a release for him. So I don't think you would do that. He would be a June one candidate if you were going to release him. But my guess is they they'd be better off, you know, not doing that. Um, so, you know, th- th- there's a couple moves they can make to basically get salary cap solvent. Um, you know, if they play Rogers contract out, here's what happens. So basically, they'll pay thirty one point six million this year on the cap. Next year. See, now this is where things get screwed up with it, but uh, I'll factor these in. Next year, Aaron Rodgers' salary is not guaranteed, but the day it becomes guaranteed is one of those uh, waiver wire ones. So basically in February, you have to make a decision. Aaron Rodgers is on my team. Aaron Rodgers is not on my team. If Aaron Rodgers is on the team, all right, uh, I'm sorry, if Aaron Rodgers is not on the team, the cost to release him on the cap at that point, and there's no way to finagle this number unless he retires, uh, would be 14, would be 68.2 million. So essentially, you'd be looking at one season of Aaron Rodgers costing you on the cap. dead plus 31.6 this year live. You know, so you're looking at 99.8 million in cap room basically for one year with no way to manipulate the numbers versus just taking the hit this year of 40.3 million. So I think from their perspective, this is where it's coming from. It's like if you want to see if you have anything with Jordan Love, if you want to make sure your cap doesn't get completely destroyed, this is kind of what you do. You know, I don't think people realize how bad of a contract this was for the Packers. Um, The Packers got, I'm trying to remember, I used a phrase on it. I don't remember what it is, but basically they got walked into oncoming traffic with him. They let Aaron Rodgers dictate the entire show to them from the minute they they drafted Jordan Love to now. You know, the the Packers went out there and the Packers said, okay, we drafted Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers said, I'm pissed. So the first thing that they did was they, I think it was they took a year off his contract. Um, Let me just pull up Aaron Rodgers' prior contract. So, his contract he signed in 2018. Yeah, they voided out 2023. Um, what year was Jordan Love drafted? He was drafted in 21. Right? Yeah, drafted in 21. So in 21, the Packers voided out his 2023 year. All right? The, the deal was basically that, you know, they, they would not, if Aaron Rodgers wanted to retire, they wouldn't look to claw back any money. That was their right to do from his old signing bonus. Um, and that, you know, they, they, they would look to, they, they would let him be a free agent in 2023. He'd only have to honor his 2022 deal. So again, you know, you go back to where they were, they were only looking to have him at the court as the quarterback for 2021 and maybe 2022. In 2022, because he played so well the year before and Aaron Rodgers did the 
basically the publicity tour of, well, I don't know if I really want to come back to Green Bay. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to do. They got walked into this monster extension of about $151 million over three years, all of it injury protected, $101, $102 million guaranteed up front. And they got walked into this deal when originally he was going to be under contract in uh, 2022 for 25.5. That wasn't going to be the cap number, but 25.5 in salary and another 25.5 million in 2023. Had they not drafted Jordan Love, I'm going to be honest, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers would have really complained about it. Maybe this year he would have. Uh, I don't think he would have last year. I, I don't think that would have been an issue. Instead, his salary jumped up to $42 million last year, 59.5 this year, and it'll be 49.3 next year. So basically, they gave him a one-year extension for $100 million over the original contract. You know, it's absolutely insane what they did. You know, and it was all, it's all basically done to, to pacify one player for like this one period of time. There's nothing Green Bay can do this year to really lower his cap number. Um, Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show and kind of was talking about it and saying, yeah, you know, you see what other people are doing and, you know, maybe some stuff would have to be done here. The only way Aaron Rodgers can really do anything to lower this number to any kind of meaningful extent would be to, you know, defer money to next year where you kind of run into the same problem again. Um, you know, because his option is so big, 58.3 million, his base salary is already as low as it can go. The proration on his, his um, option bonus is 14.575. You know, he already got a $40.8 million signing bonus last year. They took the max proration per year they can. That's a sunk cost. He has sunk cost um, bonus prorations from his last contract. Those can't be moved. So the only thing he could do is basically say, okay, instead of this being a $58 million uh, option, we can turn it into a $25 million option and the balance next year somehow. Um, you know, so there's not much he can do besides giving up money. And I don't think that was really the insinuation. You know, could they add one more year to this contract? Yeah, they can add one more void year to it. But it doesn't make that kind of a difference. You're talking about 58.3 divided by 4 versus 58.3 divided by 5. So what you're looking at is, is you're looking at creating an extra um, $2.915 million in cap room for this year. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is that really going to help you by throwing one more void year on that to get you $3 million in cap space? This is not a situation like Dak Prescott's is in where you're going to create $20 million in cap room. You're going to create three. They did this all last year. This was all planned for. This was all done this way. So if you're Green Bay, this is why you're looking to get rid of them. You screwed up the situation with him, you know, right from the start, and you're trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Now, if the Packers were good last year, maybe they would have a different approach, but they weren't good enough to justify, you know, I don't think at least going all in on Rodgers for a second year. Not with the kind of money that you're talking about. Now, if you're a team trading for him, the contract is completely different. 
Why? Because all that money that's in that contract from that $40.8 million signing bonus last year, from the other bonuses and the prior contract, that's all gone. None of that stuff exists in the contract. Okay? That all sticks with Green Bay. All you have to do is exercise this option. You're going to prorate it over four or five if you add that extra year. But let's just say you keep the contract as is. Um, basically, what you're looking at is a base salary of 1165, uh, a workout bonus of $50,000, which who knows if it'll even show up. He's got to show up for like three workouts. I think last year he didn't do that. Um, you know, so basically what you would be looking at this year would be a salary cap charge of about $15.8 million for Aaron Rodgers. Now, it's a lot of money you got to pay. So you got to be a team willing to pay him like a $60 million check or close to $60 million basically by like October. That's a lot of money. You know, I say this about the Jets. If you're a team that was planning on paying your quarterback like $5 million like Zach Wilson, your budget is completely blown. But, you know, this is one of those where the move is not coming from the general manager. The move is coming from ownership. You know, th this is Woody saying, you guys deal with the accounting aspect of it. I'm saying I'll, I'm willing to up the budget by $55 million this year for Aaron Rodgers. You know, or $60 million, whatever it is, because you're, you're probably going to chip Zach Wilson off, maybe. Um, you can't really eat that money. So I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm assuming they'll be able to get rid of him, but maybe not. But anyway, it's 15 8 when you get into the concept, here, here is where it gets hairy for the teams. If Rodgers ends up being a flop, all right, you still have a lot of money to deal with then. Basically, you, you'd be looking at um, nearly $44 million dead next year. And remember, you're taking on that same risk in the contract with that injury protection. And you're taking on that same risk as well that that salary becomes guaranteed in February to where if things aren't going well or if he's doing the, eh, I don't know if I want to be back, you know, kind of routine, you don't really have an option to wait. You just kind of have to go for it, which means, you know, your, your two-year could be really bad here. The upside in the deal is probably if he stays the two years and actually plays at a reasonable level. Um, you know, the cap number the next year would be, uh, let's see, I should have just pulled up the article I wrote, but, uh, I think his, he's got another option that's in here. How much is this one? 47. Uh, you basically have him at a cap charge of 32.5 and the following year, you get into the wonkiness of these pseudo-void years where they carried salaries. My assumption is because, you know, he wanted to make it sound like he signed a contract that wasn't even $40, uh, $40 million a year. Um, you know, his the five-year value on his deal works out to... Um, let me see. It's 150.6 on the base... 20 point, it's like 21. 
Yeah, it would work out to about like $37, 38000000 million. But Aaron Rodgers ain't playing that year for $21 million. Um, you know, his cap hit as the contract stands right now, um, you know, would be, uh, let's see, 59... Uh, it'd be like fifty million, is what that would be. You know, you you'd be able to. You probably wouldn't June one him. I mean, you might be able to June one him. Basically, you, you'd be looking for him to retire. Um, you know, and if he retired, you'd be able to split all this dead money because you'd have a lot of dead money. You know, at that point in time, you've got um, two years remaining on the the first bonus. You got three years remaining on the second bonus. Um, let me just see what that is. 47. You know, you, you'd be looking at about 60.5 million in dead money, a little bit less than that. So, I mean, in theory, even if his cap number that year was, uh, what did I say? It was about 50. Uh, 51.1, you know, you could June one him at that point and you'd still have to carry that 51 one, but you would split that other number in half to where on June 2nd, his numbers would be 30.2, 30.2. If he was willing to retire, uh, outright, you would modify the contract and you'd be able to carry him even with the June one designation, you'd be able to carry him at like 31, 32 million and then do it. And, you know, even if things went bad, in 2024, you know, if he was still playing, and let's say Rogers still wants to play football, um, my guess is you could modify the contract to guarantee that you would cut him in 2025, so he could go latch on with another team. But you could do it as a post June one, to where you would carry him at a cap hit of like 32, and then it would drop to 30, and they'd have another 30. So, you know, the the risk for another for a team trading for him. Obviously, he's old. Right? You know, he's an older player. And it's a lot of money. You know, you're looking at taking on a contract that's going to cost you about $55 million a year over the next two years. But it's structured in a way to where if you are trying to go for it, you know, you're going to really deal with the, the meat and bones of the cap hits on this probably in 2025 and 2026. Um. You know, it, there's a oddball chance it could happen in 2024. Um, if it was to happen in 2024, you know, remember the, the numbers are going to go up. But let's let's be real here. If this doesn't work out, if you're if you're the Jets, if you're the Dolphins, and this trade doesn't work out, your general manager is getting fired. Even though it might be the owner telling you to make this trade, you're getting fired. So the GM is going to get canned. You're going to bring in a new GM and it's going to be right back to square one where you're completely rebuilding the team. At that point, you probably don't really care that much about what the cap is because you know going into that situation, you're just going to take it on the chin for a season. You know, you're the Bears. You're the Falcons the last two years. You know, you, you're just, you, you're basically, you're taking on the sins of the father, right? You are... You are taking on all the mistakes that are made by the last regime and you're making it, you know, work out in the long run for you. So I, I think basically what you're looking for are teams that believe they're in it to win it right now. 
and teams that probably have aggressive ownership that's willing to cut big checks. And, you know, just looking at these teams in the AFC, the teams here that make the most sense to me are Miami and the Jets. I know Miami fans are going to kill me for that because they, they really like Tua. He's always hurt. You know, I, I don't I don't even know if the Dolphins would pick up his uh, option because of the, the injuries here. You know, the dark horse I'd throw in there is the Raiders. You know, obviously he's familiar with Devontae Adams. Um, they have a lot invested in that offense. I just did a write-up on them. Uh, that That's something that I'm working on for uh, this year for the, the free agent stuff. What I'm going to do are team guides um, that'll be in the premium section. I don't know if I'll do them all as a collection or if I should just put them up. But anyway, I, I had, you know, gone over the Raiders. And, I mean, you see how much investments they have on offense with Adams and Renfro and uh, Waller and all these guys. It is a team that's designed to be working with a veteran quarterback. They don't usually have that same budget some of these other teams do. So I, I would kind of hold on them a little bit, but... I would say that that's that's a, a possibility. You know, if I had to rank them, um, you know, in order, I think I'd put the Jets on top because I do believe the Jets are the team that's going to have the owner that pushes it more than anybody else. As for trade compensation and what you give up, I don't know. You know, now Peter King mentioned two first round picks. I, I think that's too much. I, I think... Um, if Aaron Rodgers was about four years younger, I think that would be a different story. You know, when you, you look at a Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford basically went for one first round pick. I, I would say Stafford went for a one and maybe a three. And the fact that they were willing to take on Goff's salary turned it into two ones. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson obviously goes for a ton of first round picks. Russell Wilson goes for a lot of picks. These guys are much younger. You're signing extensions with them. You know they're going to be with your team for four or five years. Now, maybe the Broncos are obviously regretting their decision right now. But, you know, when you go into those deals, that that's basically what you go in there uh, thinking. You know, with Rodgers, you're talking about a guy who's basically 40. Um, it, it's not a four or five year investment. It's a two year investment. And it's not like you're trading for someone where there is some kind of financial advantage, right? In Stafford, you got um, two contract years that were part of that deal, right? What was, uh, let me just look up Stafford's old money. Wait, I can just use the player comp, right? So I have that in there. No, I don't use that in there. I, I can pull up the new money in that. All right, let me let me pull up Stafford. You know, so with Stafford, you were talking about um, he had to honor a contract that was going to be Rams, right? Uh, $20 million and then $23 million. So those those were numbers that he had to, to honor. Um, Russell Wilson, you had the one year on the contract. Russell Wilson was... I'm sorry, he had two years left, right? So Russell Wilson is a 24 and a 27 that he had to honor. So you, you're not getting those kind of built-in low-cost benefits with these players. Um, 
you're essentially opting in already to a very high-priced extension, right? You're talking about two years for like 110. Um, it's all injury protected. So, you know, when, when you look at, um, you know, these other players, you know, the, the, there's only a few guys that end up with kind of like, um, you know, more than that. You know, Wilson's got uh, 124 full. Uh, 165 total, but you negotiated these, and that that includes um, the old money in the contract. Uh, you know, so you, you pull that out. That new guarantee is around 114. We're we're actually going to do something on this sometime in the next week or two with new guarantees. But you pull that out, it's 114. So if you're trading into Aaron Rodgers, you're already trading into 110. So you know you, you're not getting that con- uh, contractual benefit. It comes with anything. In a, in a sense, you're kind of helping the Chargers, uh, the Chargers, the Packers, uh, probably get a headache off their hands. So I, I don't think it's a it's a first round um, kind of scenario here. You know, I think this is more um, more along the lines of let's assume that they um, they do this deal. Um. You know, you, you do the deal uh, before the draft. My assumption would be you're going to give Green Bay something like a third-round pick this year, fourth-round pick, and then next year you're going to have another pick that's included in there. Now, th- this is not as uh, explosive as the Brett Favre thing, but, you know, I think this is one of those where the compensation package has to be based on what occurs this year. Right. You know, does Aaron Rodgers play well for the team? Does the team actually do decently? You know, what what is that worth? That's worth maybe that's worth a first round pick in 2024. Um, It's a possibility that you can look at it as, you know, did Aaron Rodgers retire or is Aaron Rodgers still on your roster as of June? not June, you probably have to say first uh, second day of the league year. The only complexity with that, uh, you you probably have to craft out some provision, and I'm not exactly sure how you do it or if that's even allowed. Um, almost like because you're going to modify that contract if he was to retire to let him be a June 1 retirement. Um, so you're going to carry that contract until June 2nd, which is obviously past the 2024 draft. Now, you can do stuff to where picks change again in 2025, but that that seems a little excessive. So I kind of think it, you would probably have to do something in there um, that would somehow kind of protect uh, both sides in the event that you go into this kind of he's retired, but you can't process it for salary cap purposes. Um you know, they, there might be something that you can do where as long as his salary for the year is not the league minimum, um, you know, then, you know, or wh- whatever the injury protection amount is, you know, 2.1 million next year, maybe 2.15, 2.2, I, I don't know, whatever it is. Or actually, no, you wouldn't even have to do that because his salary is actually already injury protected. So it would basically be something along the lines of as long as his salary is not... Um, you know, not the league minimum for the year, uh, you know, that, that you would get that, you know, a first round pick. Um, but I think that's what you would do. You would constantly be adding, um, you know, kind of 
kind of like little conditions on the contract. But I think most of your compensation, if it's going to be high, would come in 2024, not 2023. Unless, you know, unless a team is ridiculously desperate. You know, if you are ridiculously desperate, then, you know, it is what it is. Now, could you, for the Packers' sake, hold off until a post-June 1 on the trade? You know, for the Packers... That would be really beneficial. Um, you know, your post-June 1 trade, you'd be looking at only 15-8 dead this year for them and then having to deal with it like $24 million the following year. So for the Packers, that would work wonderful. They'd hold them at his 31 right now. Then that would drop to about 16. And then you'd, you'd pick up the balance of all that dead money the following year. Rodgers probably isn't participating in workouts anyway. So it's not like that's a big deal. He's probably not showing up in Florham Park to uh, hang out with the team or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm, I'm just going based on the way the, the couple couple times have worked in the past here. Um, you know, so you could. The, the thing on that is if you do make a trade, you kind of want to have your shiny toy out there for a press conference in uh, March, don't you? So, I mean, that that might be one of the things. Yeah, and, you know, you want your coaches to be able to talk with them. Though, I'm sure there's back channels where they're allowed to do whatever since a trade has been agreed upon. Um, you know, but that that's it's a very slim possibility. But I, I guess you could do that possibility that would hold off until after June 1st. Now, if you held the trade off, then you wouldn't get any compensation in 2023. And from the Packers' perspective, if all they were going to get this year was, say, a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick... You know, maybe that would actually be good for him to where everything just looks like it's conditional, conditional, conditional based on what he does. You know, maybe you do something where come next year, the condition is a third that escalates to a second that escalates to a first based on whatever. Then you can also get 2025 compensation. Let's say it starts as a four, could get to a three, to a two, to a one, all based on what happens in 2024, uh, 2025 draft picks. Um I think I might have said 2024 draft picks there. So, you know, I, I almost think that would work better, but it doesn't give you that ability to have him out there in March, you know, holding up a Jets jersey. So, I don't know. Uh, as for a time frame for when this is going to happen, my assumption is by the Combine during the Combine. I think if nothing is done by that point in time, or at least if the, the rumor mill really, really doesn't heat up um, at that point in time, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, teams have to make alternate arrangements at quarterback. You know, you've got the Derek Carr thing that's going to happen in a couple of weeks. He's almost positive he's going to get cut. I think most teams are running under the assumption that he's going to get cut. Um, you know, you got Garoppolo, you got Tom Brady out there. Uh, you've got a couple other guys who might be available via trade. So, you know, I, I think this one, if it's going to happen, is probably going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So I, I think... Um, you will get some clarity on this pretty soon, regardless of, um, you know, who who you are uh, rooting for here. Now, as for who is going to go, you know, some of the things that I, I saw on my timeline were just kind of ridiculous. Um, I thought at least, you know, where people were talking about, well, you know, they were kind of interested in Corey Davis. Maybe you can include him in a package. First of all, the Packers can't take on that salary. Number two, 
they were going to get Corey Davis because they had Aaron Rodgers and you're trying to placate him. You think they want Corey Davis now? No, they wouldn't want Corey Davis. You know, that that kind of stuff is just silly where you're talking about player. Well, will they take Zach Wilson? Probably not. You know, would you want Zach Wilson? <laughs> so, you know, the, the Jets will have to figure out what they want to do with Zach Wilson. I'm not sure um, what that will be. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to try to trade him. I, I don't know where that would be to if they, uh, you know, if they were able to pull this off. But, you know, I, I think that the trade stuff with Rodgers at this point is very real. Um, I do get the the feeling that the Packers would like to trade him. And I think it is just, um, you know, him agreeing to go to one of these teams. So, you know, again, I think if you are the Jets, you're pushing for this very quickly. And not working on the Rodgers timeline of, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, so it's a real interesting one. Uh, you don't see contracts like this very often anymore. So I thought this was, um, you know, it, it's, it's just a real interesting situation, um, as to what'll happen here with him. Um, so Nick's got his, uh, final compensatory pick projections up here. So you, you can check them at OTC. Uh, they should be right on the front page, a couple of posts under wherever you saw this uh, podcast, or if you're listening um, you know, if you were a subscriber to the podcast, you can, uh, you know, just check this out over there. Um, speaking of subscribing on the podcast stuff, if you, if you guys are interested, if you want me to start doing these on YouTube, years ago, I used to post these on YouTube. I, I don't bother anymore. Just the time it takes to, uh, convert them to, to a video. But if you guys want them, I mean, I, I can, uh, just let me know. I, I can always video myself talking with a beer uh, if we have that, or I could just do the OTC logo if you'd prefer to, uh, you know, if you prefer to, uh, to listen, um, that way. So anyway, uh, but Nick has the, uh, compensatory picks up. Um, so you can check those out here and see what teams are there. It, interesting. Nick got some interesting information on uh, a Von Miller thing, which, uh, is kind of probably right. You know, the, the way you read these things, sometimes you, you don't even think about it where they talk about these older players being worth a five at the most, but that's a five coming in and it might act a little bit differently on the, the going outside of it. Um, so that's one of those that's there. Uh, another thing I posted, I'll talk about it here a little bit. Um, the salary cap charges in the playoffs. There was a lot of discussion this week with Dak Prescott, um, you know, kind of falling by the wayside in the, this game. And he didn't, he didn't play particularly well. Um, you know, he, he's a decent, good quarterback. He's not, you know, the, the, the top, top line guys. And I don't think Dallas gets him enough help. Uh, you know, they, there were two big plays I'm sure they're looking at that they wish they could have gotten back. Um, he had CeeDee Lamb on what probably should have been a touchdown. It still ended up a big completion and, uh, and an interference call at the same time. But Lamb had him beat. And if he hits him in stride, that's a touchdown. Gallup at the end of the game, that's a touchdown. That is, I am sure that's a touchdown. And he just hung the ball up there. I don't know what that play was at the end of the game for Dallas. That was just kind of funny. But, uh, you know, you get into a lot of these discussions about, you know, how things work with these big contracts and smaller contracts. And, you know, I always like, because there are people who hate when I talk about this benefit of, 
you know, the uh, the rookie quarterback contract. And I'm sure if you listen, you know, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, um, you know, Eric Eager over at Sumer Sports with uh, Thomas Dimitrov now um, doing those, uh, Kevin Cole's podcast. You know, I, th- there's a lot of people that will talk about there is a rookie contract advantage. Now, there's some people might disagree saying that, well, you know, there's ways you can manipulate the money to where it just kind of does carry over in some way, shape or form. But, you know, it, it's just a clear advantage. I mean, you, you're talking about drafting players that are giving you $50 million in value, 45 to $50 million in value, and you're paying them six, seven, eight million million a year. Clearly, that's an advantage. You know, when you hit on a receiver like Chase, um, you know, just as another positional example, you're talking about a player that would cost you 25, 26, 27 on an extension, and you've got them for like five. You know, that's a major advantage for those teams. And those teams that are smart enough to make use of it, you know, and, uh, you know, I mentioned the Bengals there, where you've got the quarterback and the receiver and some other players on rookie deals there. You know, the Bengals, who typically have been pretty cheap uh, most of the time, they have taken the most advantage of it because they did go into free agency uh, a couple of years ago. And even uh, maybe not last year as much, but, you know, two years ago when they, they first got this rookie window, you know, they went into free agency and they spent. And, you know, they made the Super Bowl last year and they got a good chance at making it again, um, you know, this year. And the Bills general manager was very open about it. He said, you know, these guys have a great advantage. Um, Now, he's not, it didn't come off as sour grapes. There's other times where it comes across like kind of sour grapes or, you know, my job is a lot harder than everybody else's. I thought this was just an honest assessment. He was like, look what we had to get for Stefan Diggs. You know, you're talking about a player who makes, uh, what does Diggs make? 23, 24? I'm trying to think. They just signed him on an extension this year. Um, 24. And obviously he's terrific. We had his value at 21.7. And remember, when we talk about our OTC valuations, we're talking about the market as a whole. If you were talking about just veteran value, um, he more than exceeds $24 million a year. It's just that when you're looking at the value, you're taking into account what Brandon Bean is talking about. You're talking about a player that, you know, you had to trade assets for, number one. Number two, he costs you $24 million a year. So, you know, it's very hard to make up that amount of money. You know, you've got Chase, who didn't cost you, you know... um, anything in terms of extra draft compensation. You know, he was your draft pick um, that you got there. And he's under contract for $7.7 million a year. Now, he missed games this year, so we have his value at about fifteen nine. Um, my guess is if you take his uh, injuries out of it, and I know Nick does that to some extent here. Uh, it's a little bit different, but, you know, it'd be like 17, 18, probably close to 20. So... Even if you you say he's not as productive as Diggs, he's more probably more dangerous than Diggs, not as consistent as Diggs. Um, you know, you, you're talking about a difference in salary of seventeen million dollars a year, and your gap in terms of performance is probably only three to four million dollars. So, you know that that's a massive, massive, massive difference. And he says again, rightfully so. I don't want to be in a position to do that. 
And you know, this is a little off tangent here, just on the bills, but you, you could hear with what he was saying was like, okay, you know, you're not going to see us do that Von Miller signing this year. You're not going to see us do these kind of signings because, you know, you got to be honest about it. You you look at your roster, you look at where you've been. You were able to make this a three year window. There's no such thing as a four year window. You know, you've got to kind of you got to keep things from getting out of control. And he said that we don't want to be one of those teams. I don't remember if he said it was like a hundred million over the cap, but whatever it was, you know, what he's referencing is we don't want to be in a situation like we saw the Falcons in. We don't want to be in a situation like the bears. We don't want to be in a situation like the saints. We don't want to be in that situation. We got to be smart. And that gets you to a team like the chiefs where everyone was talking about like restructure Mahomes, restructure Mahomes, restructure Mahomes. And, I remember at the time talking about it and saying, well, look at Patrick's uh, cap hits. Let me just pull his cap hits up here. So Mahomes' cap hit this year was $36 million. And they could have driven that down um, probably by a good, probably by $20 million if they wanted to. Um Something like that, yeah. Around around that, they probably could have driven it down. But you look at where his cap numbers go in the future right now. 47, 44, 47, 42, 60, 45, 45, 50, 52. You don't want to get into a situation where you're dealing with cap numbers that are just all the time high. So, you know, what I would have been talking about was uh, taking a 27-5 roster bonus and converting it 27.4 you know you would have gained 21.9 million dollars in cap room and you would have added about 5.5 million a year to each of the next couple years so you now you would have been talking about a cap number next year for Mahomes of 50 next year about 50 then about 50 then in uh, 2026 it would have been about um, 47 48 ish 47 and a half, maybe. Those are super high cap numbers to the point where you're like, I'm probably going to have to redo this again. And you just keep kicking the can, kicking the can, kicking the can, and eventually you get in trouble. You know, people were asking me about trading Dak Prescott, getting rid of Dak Prescott. Now, I think that's silly. You know, I, I think this is just the way that when you have a good football team, this is the way that you overreact to a loss in the playoffs. But Dak's contract is structured it's genius structure from his agent. Um, His cap number is 17-2. They knew he'd have to restructure the next year to get it down to 19-7, which puts his cap number this year at 49-1 and the following year at 52-1. They're going to have to restructure this year. Contract is already set up for it. So, you know, you're talking about taking about $30 million dollars and I think there's four years left. So you're going to create uh, $22.5 million in cap room. And you're going to increase his cap number the following year by 7.5. It's going to bring his cap number next year to $59, $60 million. That's not a viable number. You've got a bunch of dead money that is going to hit the books then in 2025. So basically, you, you've got to extend it. It's a brilliant job. Structure on these deals matter. The salary cap aspect, no matter how much you want to say, ah, salary cap is fake, 
it matters. The structure on the cap matters. And the cap numbers can impact you very negatively. So anyway, when you get into the quarterbacks, here was one of the things I looked at. I, I took the last five years of data and basically looked at all the quarterbacks who made the playoffs and basically looked to see where they ranked. So if you look at it from a perspective of like, well, if our option is Kirk Cousins or if our option is a rookie, um, you know, players who made up three to five percent of the adjusted cap, their cap number was three to five percent of the salary cap. So, you know, in that seven million dollar range, give or take a little bit, you know, 13 of those teams made the playoffs. That would be the same as the number of players who made the playoffs that were in the 11 to 13 percentile salary cap range. Those between 1% and 3% of the unadjusted cap that year, I think 11 of them have made the playoffs. If you get to 13 to 15%, it's only 8. If you get to th- uh, 15 to 17%, it's only 5. Now, granted, there's a lot more players who are cheaper. So, yeah, there is a absolute risk-reward, right? Um, because if we look at non-playoff teams, if we look at our cheap quarterback pool... Almost 25 teams, probably 24, I'm just looking at the, the chart here, um, that had a 3 to 5% uh, cap figure, you know, only, you know, th- those teams didn't make the playoffs. Whereas when you get into those higher figures, you know, those numbers are only like 10 and 9. So it, when you look at the playoff rates, um, now some of these are small, so under 1%. This is like the Jalen Hurts type players. Um, now, I'm just looking at the highest cap hit on a team. It doesn't mean the players are started like, you know, Purdy is starting in uh, San Francisco right now, but Garoppolo is probably the highest capped guy. I mean, it could be Lance. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But for most teams, when you're doing your planning, you're planning based on what that maximum, you know, player kind of earned. So... The, the players under 1% of the unadjusted cap, that would equate to next year of a salary cap number up to about $2.25 million. So that's pretty low. Um, there's only five players that qualified in that, but 40% of them made the playoffs. So, you know, you had two guys make it. Um, you know, when you get into the 1% to 3%, so this would be a cap number next year that would be between 225 and 675. 44% of those players made the playoffs. Uh, we're talking about 25 players there. Three to five percent. There's 37 guys who fit that category. 35 percent made the playoffs. That would be a cap hit between six seven five and eleven two five. So that will actually encompass a handful of veterans on the front end of their deals. You know that might be a Josh Allen. You know on the front end where that transition comes, rookie to um, veteran, where you you kind of got to honor that old money and um, you know you're pushing out those cap charges a little bit. But it's mainly rookies. You know, you, you get into 5 to 7%, 40% make it. Then you get into no man's land, 7 to 9 and 9 to 11%. Uh, only tw- about 25, 26% of those players make it. These are cap hits that would be between about 16 million and 25. For the most part, that it's going to encompass, while it does hold in some players whose salaries have dropped down for cap reasons, and it will also hold in their players like the Carson Wentz's of the world who have been traded over and over and over again. Um, You know, and they don't have those prorated numbers in there. 
a lot of this is, are those mid-range guys who got contracts. You know, your Bridgewaters, your Case Keenums, um, you know, th those kind of guys. Nick Foles, maybe Blake Bortles. Um, Bortles might have predated this. But, you know, those types of players never really works out. And I think that shows in the numbers. Now, where you get into the players with the higher cap charges, you know, 11 to 13%, 13 to 15%, um, you know, you, you were looking at about 59% uh, made the playoffs that were between 11 and 13. That'd be a 25 to $29 million cap charge. Um, 13 to 15% of 16 teams there, 16 players, 50% made the playoffs. That'd be a 29.25 to a 33.75 next year. Uh, at a 15 to 17%, 56% made the playoffs. That's a 33 to a 38 cap charge. There was only nine that fit in that bucket. And of the players over 17%, there's only five of those players. Only 20% of those guys made it. So you know, your sample size is as big as the under 1%. Kind of a meaningless sample size, I think. Um, but, you know, the, those those teams didn't really make it. And, you know, that would be the equivalent of a 39 to a $47 million cap charge. And the reason that I bring those numbers up is when I mention those contracts like Mahomes or what Josh Allen's is going to be, the Kyler Murray's of the world, that kind of stuff. You know, first of all, there's no guarantee. All right. You're looking at a 50-50 proposition for a lot of these teams. But I, I think what you can see is if the numbers do get too high, um, you, you do start to kind of see diminishing returns. And I, I think what you, you will see smarter teams do, like the Chiefs or like the Bills, they will reach a point where they say, you know what, we're not going to get into a situation. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on the Cowboys here because I, I like some of the guys that work uh, with the Cowboys. So I, I don't want to say it's not a good organization, just that, you know, you got walked into something. You know, same, you know, Arizona gets walked into something. You don't want to have a situation in front of you where you are dealing with a 50 or $60 million cap hit for your quarterback, where you can't really do anything about that number, you know, besides extend a player that maybe you don't want to extend, you know, or get the number, you know, you get to a point where you can't bring it down to a reasonable figure. So, you know, the, the, the point of it is just that you've got to, you know, when you plan these out, when you make these big investments in the quarterback, um, you've got to do some planning to make sure you don't get into these seasons where you are just completely screwed over by the structure of the contract. It's where you're getting into an extension you don't want to get into, or, you know, you've been so cap compromised that there's not much you can do. Um, you know, the other things that I looked at here, you know, th this was all based on, um, you know, one year results, right? Playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Yeah, you break them down by teams here, um, by playoff appearances. So in the last five years, you know, the only team that's made the playoffs five times has been the Chiefs. Uh, you had a couple teams that made it four times, three times, two times, one time, and, you know, teams like my Jets that made it no times. So if you look at the average cap spend over a five-year period on their highest-priced quarterback, you know, the Chiefs averaged 5.7%. It's very low, all right? So while individual years, you know, you obviously are seeing players that have much higher cap charges make it, over the long term, you know, th this is one of the lower numbers. Um, you know, teams that have made it four times, their average spend was 68 
So basically what that means is the majority of teams who have made the playoffs four times basically are in that bridge category like a Josh Allen, where you get two years on a rookie contract, two years on a veteran contract, and the cap numbers are kind of deferred to the future. Uh, Three years, that number jumps to 9.3% because now you're getting a little bit more into the Aaron Rodgers kind of players that have made it. Um, Kirk Cousins might be in the next category, but... You know, you're getting into those where, yeah, over the five-year period, maybe you've got some years where that cap number was too high. Maybe there was something prohibitive about it. Um, You know, so you kind of maxed out. So you did have a better quarterback on your roster, and it did get you, you know, those three appearances, but, you know, it didn't lock you in at five. Uh, Two appearances, the average spend was 8%. Just one appearance was 6.7. And uh, no appearances was 7.8. And, you know, the, those are teams that often end up with a bridge quarterback somewhere in there. Um, you know, uh, this might have counted Josh McCown, for example, one year on the Jets. Um, you know, not that he was making that kind of money, but, you know, may have included someone like that in there. Uh, so, you know, you, you just look at those things. But the overall thing is over the long term, you're not seeing teams spending, you know, 14, 15% of the cap. You know, it, it's basically rookies and young players um, that are the the guys making the playoffs kind of consistently. Now, will that continue as the players get older? Might I mean, I, I think Mahomes and Josh Allen are that good. But, you know, you're going to have to wait and see if that's the case. You know, finally, if we just want to look at, you know, teams that did spend over that five-year period at a higher level... Um, you know, 13 uh, teams that average between 13 and 15% uh, of the cap on the quarterbacks, on the top quarterback, there was only three teams. I think that's the Vikings, 49ers, and Packers. Um, the average playoff seasons there were 2.7. Teams that were between 11 and 13%, there were four of those teams. That was only 1.8 average playoff seasons. 9 to 11% average two playoff seasons. 7 to 9%. We talked about that being kind of no man's land was 1-9. Teams that averaged between 5 and 7% of the cap over a five-year period. There were five of those teams. Average was three playoff seasons per team. So that was your high point. So, you know, again, it's like, well, what's better? The the cheap quarterback versus the expensive quarterback. And it, it's almost like a, a you can lean towards that cheaper quarterback. That's going to give you a higher ceiling probably. Um, but you know, there's no, there's nothing that says there's a tangible edge to having that expensive quarterback over the younger, cheaper player. Uh, and then the three to 5% group was 1.7. You know, those are your lower drafted, um, kind of guys maybe who aren't working out so well. So again, I think this just kind of gets into, you know, planning a roster and building things out. And when you get into these non-elite quarterback types, so I'm not talking about replacing Mahomes. I'm not talking about replacing Allen. I'm not talking about replacing Burrow. But I'm talking about replacing a lot of these other guys. You know, where you get into the the idea of replacing... Um, I'm not going to throw Deshaun Watson in there. He's just... Right now, I don't even know what you make of him. I don't really even want to make anything of him. But when you get into... Um, you know, at this stage of their careers, Russell Wilson... Uh, you know, when you get into a player like a Kyler Murray, you get into a Derek Carr, even a Stafford. Uh, 
Um, you know, and these guys are a little cheaper. A Prescott, you know, at 40, a Kirk Cousins. Um, now, Jared Goff, you traded for, and Wentz hasn't worked out, but, you know, those are trades. So at least you, you got rid of a lot of the costs that were involved there. But like a Ryan Tannehill, you know, you get into these situations where you're like, well, we can't lose this guy. We can't lose this guy. We can't lose this guy. The numbers basically tell you, yes, you can. You know, there's no lock on those players. Now, for those elite guys, yeah, never, never in a million years do you get rid of those players. You know, may, maybe there is a point where you do get rid of them. You know, there, there, there's a point where you, you figure they're going to be beyond being that elite level of a player. Sorry, I had to pause that a second there. I think my uh, son is having a bit of a meltdown. I think he needs to get to bed. Is the um, <laughs> bottom line up there? Um, so anyway, I think I was <laughs> talking about the quarterbacks here, but uh, you know, you you just have to to be, I think, aware of the long term impacts of you know what you might be giving up when you kind of double down on your decisions on some of these older quarterbacks especially when you have other options. Now, if you don't have another option, um, you know, that that's something completely different. But, you know, when you're one of these teams right now, you know, just to give you an example here, um, let me just pull up the draft order. Whoops. Let me just pull this up. So, I mean... Right now, if you are um, Chicago, Arizona probably can't. But if you are Chicago, if you're Indianapolis, um, if you're Seattle, if you're Detroit, um, you know, the Raiders, after that, I, I don't think there's a, you know, as much of a situation that you could definitely draft a quarterback. Um you know, I, I think for any of these teams, you would be making an absolute mistake if you don't take a quarterback, if there's one available. Um, you know, you get into Atlanta, Carolina, it's a little bit harder there. Sometimes the, the players aren't as available. Um, but, you know, when you are those teams in that top seven and you might think you have a solution in Justin Fields, and I know he's not a veteran yet, but, you know, you might have a solution in Justin Fields. You might have, well, actually, Indianapolis probably doesn't think they have anything. You know, but you might have a solution in Geno Smith. You might have a solution in Jared Goff. You might have a solution in getting Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo as a free agent. Um, you know, you're better off taking a quarterback. You know, I, I think the numbers would show that, that that upside is there. And the, the downside is, you know, it it's not outweighed by the... the upside that people think um, with some of these more expensive players. So, you know, I would just keep that in mind. I think if you, if you're, you know, running a team or you're running a mock draft or you're a fan of a site, I'm sorry, a fan of a team and you run a website and you're just trying to kind of take an objective look at what you want to do with those quarterback positions, look at the playoff history of these teams. I'm not, I'm not even talking about getting further in the playoffs. You know, we're obviously going to have, um, you know, at least one quarterback be a rookieish quarterback here. Um, you know, I'm just talking about the the general approach by 
you know, which you address the position, don't get overly bullish on any of your players as like these, you know, you can't miss with them. Um, because none of these guys, with the exception of maybe one or two, and we haven't even gotten into the, you know, Mahomes, Josh Allen kind of run where their salary cap numbers do become prohibitive, um, you know, to see what happens. You know, it, it's, for the most part, you're, you're not making it every year. Um, you know, so if you're only going to make it two or three times in five years, maybe you're better off swinging for the fences where you still might make it two or three times and maybe you'll be that team that does kind of, you know, hit the straight flush or whatever and goes four times or five times in five years. So, you know, I, I just think that, that that's a that's one of these ways that you need to look at it. We'll, we'll talk about more of this stuff as you get closer to the draft, get closer to the offseason. Um, you know, one of the studies that we do sometimes is, well, more than sometimes, but, you know, we look at drafting success um, and we look at that as, you know, what, what's that done with team success? And we don't look at drafting success when we kind of write about that stuff as necessarily... Um, drafting the best players sometimes it's about a drafting strategy which kind of basically says okay just to give you an example if i screw up in my first round by picking an edge rusher i'm probably at least going to get close to the value of the rookie contract because even like a a piss well not a piss poor but you know even an average situational rusher free agency is probably going to get five to seven a year. Whereas if I blow my pick on a running back, um, you know, running back, I might be able to go sign in free agency for like a million bucks. And I'm paying four or $5 million for my guy. And I had to go out and I had to go sign an edge rusher for 20. So that's one of the ways that we look at this. So we'll do that a little bit later on. But, you know, with the quarterback stuff, it's so... You know, it's so related to the success of the team. Um, you know, I know uh, our valuation metric that we do. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I ran a, a thing on that for a, was it a five-year sample. I, I, I have numbers that I don't put online. I probably should put them online just to, to put in seasons on there. Um, but, you know, it, it's like the success of the quarterback is so correlated with the success of the team, you know, and the the remainder of the team, the performance on there is like, you know, it, it obviously it's correlated to it, but nowhere near to the level of the quarterback. And you you can run that with a lot of stuff. Now we we use the uh, the PFF grades in in the stuff that we do, um, but you can take the PFF grades individually. I'm sure they'll show you the same thing. I'm sure you could do some different types of metrics and they'll, they'll show you uh, similar outcomes as well. Um, you know, so I, I always just find that kind of interesting to see. But that that's just, it's one of the things, you know, when you, when you have that cheap quarterback, man, you can do a lot of other things with your roster. You can take a lot of risks in free agency. Um, you know, you, you can kind of take a lot of risks with trades. You can occasionally, you know, give up on a, uh, a draft pick to bring in a veteran player. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, 
So that that's just why I um, kind of mentioned that. But it, it's stuff we'll talk about, you know, I think more in the off season. All right, so let's get into your questions since I've obviously been going on for a while here. So we're going to go to my emails first where I know I had a couple of old ones. So let me see if I can pull some of those up and hopefully I, I might miss one or two of these. Um, I'm sure I will. Let's take a look if I can pull some things out here. All right, let's see. Um, Cameron, last week you discussed issues with the NFL playoff format. I don't think I had this last week. Um, all right. Uh, what possible solutions does the NFL have available to them? One thought is to award the first three seeds the uh, top three divisions, give them all a bye week, and let the top two spots go to the next two best teams. This will eliminate the notorious 8-9 division winner problem. Would something like this resolve the issues you have? Yeah, so th this would almost kind of take it back to the old school. Um you know, where where you had the three divisions and you had wild card weekend was really just wild card teams and everybody, you know, got a buy. Um, the thing is, the NFL is looking to maximize their revenue. So their maximizing of revenue is going to come from having more games versus having just a handful of games. Um, so I think it would be much better. I think it would... Um, give a lot more um, weight to the regular season, a lot more importance to the regular season. I think it would properly reward the football teams um, in some way, shape, or form. But I I don't think the league would ever consider doing something like that because it would take away from the playoff package, which, you know, right now, their goal is to basically um, make sure that their partners at CBS, Fox, NBC, and um, ABC, the ESPN, uh, are happy by giving everybody opportunities to broadcast the number of playoff games. So it, it's almost like you've got to come up with something um, that allows them to maximize their television product. So I, I don't know what the good solution is because of that. Um but yeah, th this from a football perspective, yeah, th this would make a uh, make a lot more sense. Um, let's take a look here. All right, so this is a question here from Matt, uh, who I think is from. Australia. Yeah, there we go. Australia. Look at that. We, we get listeners in Australia. Um, basically, I think what he's laying out here is finding ways to circumvent the cap in rugby. Yeah, rugby. Uh, and so the questions here, without getting too much into it, uh, what stops the NFL and the billions of dollars associated with teams doing something um, such as setting up the L.A. Rams chocolate bar company and paying $20 million in advertising fees to Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and a number of free agents um, with that? And what mechanism does the NFL have to prevent such third-party deals from becoming commonplace? How arm's length do they have to be to set, be salary cap compliant? So, um, you know, essentially the CBA lays out situations that would be like that. Um, the Closest ones that have come under scrutiny have been people that have talked about, you know, some of the Tom Brady stuff that's gone on with his TB12 company um, and some of the things that they, they've kind of gotten in bed with there. But 
for the most part, the the NFL does keep a very watchful eye over, you know, doing crazy stuff. Uh, that would be the equivalent of that. So essentially, I think what they look at is, let's assume that you did have a product that was independent of football. Um, you know, using your example, let's say Matt Stafford actually had a company that manufactured chocolate. You know, the the Matt Stafford Chocolate Company or whatever. Um, the Rams could possibly enter in, into an agreement with a t- uh, with a a company like that. Um, they would probably have to it, you you would probably have to prove that whatever price they were paying for that was in line with the rest of the market. So. Let's say that the Matt Stafford Chocolate Company only has one cup, a customer in the Rams. Uh, that would obviously be a salary cap charge at that point for Matt Stafford. But let's say Matt Stafford's Chocolate Company um, sold all their chocolates nationally to uh, ShopRite and Acme and uh, Kroger and Walmart and Lowe's. And, you know, you, you could probably come up with what would be a fair number of um, that if they were buying chocolate to put in their concession stands, um, you know, that that would be reasonable within the, uh, you know, based on what he gets from other other uh, vendors. I think that would be allowable. Um, I'd, I'd really have to go back and check, but they, they basically have stuff in the CBA that more or less is designed to prevent you from being able to set up like dummy corporations to where people can, you know, buy you for consulting services and, you know, whatever other nonsense, um, you know, there might be. So they, they've basically written all, almost all that stuff out. Uh, Mark has a question, podcast question. Would it make sense for the Ravens to put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson rather than the exclusive tag? He seems reluctant to play uh, less than 100% before he gets his deal. Um, With a non-exclusive tag, they could match whatever someone offered him and Lamar would have his deal. If they can't match, might as well take the two number ones and move on. So here is the the problem for the Ravens. If the Ravens put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson, the most compensation they can get for him is two number one picks. If they use the exclusive tag, they can get whatever draft haul they want. Lamar Jackson is worth more than two first-round picks. I think Lamar Jackson would be worth three first-round picks plus. So even if you want to trade him because you can't get a deal with, you know, done with him long-term... I think you would be using the exclusive tag on him versus the non-exclusive tag. Um, I, I just think it gives you more options for what you can do, even though that number is high. Um, you know, with the non-exclusive tag, basically what you're doing is you're going out there and you're daring another team to come in there and give him his fully guaranteed deal and still not matching it. So, you know... I my guess is if somebody else gave it to him, I think the Ravens would match the offer. I think what the Ravens don't want to do is they don't want to be the team that just goes and offers a fully guaranteed deal to a player you're uh, effectively extending. But I think if the option presented itself, they might do it depending on the cost, depending on the amount of years um, that are there. But 
I think the main reason why you do it is your trade package is going to be much bigger with that exclusive tag. And you don't have to worry about the cap charges until pretty much around draft time anyway. Um, I, I believe from what people were talking about with the rules on that, um, the cap number will remain the lower number uh, until um, the RFA period expires, which I think is usually like April 15th or so. Um, and Joel Corey was talking about that, that that's the way that works. I do know that that was how it was treated with Prescott. So I guess it works that way. It doesn't really spell it out in any of the rules. Um, you know, but that kind of is what it is, I guess. So if that is the case, you know, I, I think you just use the exclusive tag and you, you figure out what you want to do. Uh, let's see. Blake, um, what does it mean to be a cash poor team? I've heard over the years that Mark Davis is cash poor. Not really sure what that means and how it affects free agents. Um, basically it means you are a team that just doesn't spend as much as other teams. Um, you know, you do get local revenues, right? You know, we, we talk about that all the time. Uh, you know, a team like the Cowboys that's got a massive stadium and, you know, a huge national footprint, they're going to make a lot more money on their local revenue than, you know, some of these other teams. And that can be a pretty big number. If you look at the Packers annual report, um, you know, the local revenue is a, a pretty big portion of what everybody earns. And, you know, you, you do have some owners who are, you know, wealthier than others. Um, you know, if you have someone whose main business is football versus someone who is a billionaire from other businesses and bought into football, um, you know, they probably have a lot more disposable income than you do. So, you know, that that's kind of what it means. And when when you look at the the history of the teams in terms of being cash poor, um, you you'll see that they rank lower, you know, year over year in spending on the roster. The Chiefs are an example of a team that I would say, even though they have that big contract for Patrick Mahomes, you know, they're they're a low budget team. The Raiders are a low budget team, the Colts are a low budget team, the Texans have mainly been a low budget team. You know, there are a couple of teams that you look at and they're just low budget teams. And, you know, generally what that means is when you get into um, signing some of these players uh, that require a lot of upfront money, you might get into a fight with them over a contract. You might not be able to get a deal done. You know, you're, you're a team that wants to get into free agency if you're a cash poor team, you're probably not going to get into the top tier free agency. You know, you're, you're going to get into that second and third tier because you can't commit, you know, a ton of money up front. Now, the Raiders, you know, they, they did a lot for Devontae Adams this year. They certainly spent this year. Um, but I think a lot of times when you talk about being cash poor, it, it, that's just kind of what it means. Just relative to other teams around the league. Like, it seems like the Falcons, the Eagles, like they have an unlimited budget. Uh, as long as they can make the numbers work accounting-wise on the cap, they have an unlimited budget. There's other teams where it seems very clear that there's a budget in place well beyond what the salary cap is. All right, Max has a question. Uh, wondering if you think we'll ever see a return to the mid-level starting quarterback contract. Listening to a different NFL podcast today. 
Most of the conversation centered around how the Vikings need to replace Kirk Cousins and the Dolphins should be looking to move on from Tua, even if he has a good season. That's a smart podcast. Um, given the extreme surplus value that comes from having a quarterback on a rookie deal, that makes perfect sense. However, it doesn't strike me as sustainable for this to become a league-wide approach. Can the NFL really exist in a universe where there's a small handful of established franchise quarterbacks and a small group of high draft picks with significant draft capital behind them and then two-thirds of the league playing musical chairs? So I think the NFL could exist that way but probably not in the current format, you know, and, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. You call for the head of a general manager these days very quickly. Um, there is no such thing, that, nor should there really be. And when you, you look at the, the league and the way the league turns over and you see teams like the Giants making the playoffs... It's nonsense when these guys talk about a three to five year plan. That's called don't fire me for five years. That That's a three to five year plan. But if this is the approach that you took to your quarterback position, all right, a very long term view, I think in that case, yes, it would be fair for, you know, many of the general managers to get a longer leash, Um you know, like we, we'll talk about like um, Joe Douglas. People get, right now, they're, they're Jets fans who get pissed off when you say, if the Jets don't make the playoffs next year, you should get fired. I mean, look at his record. People are like, oh, he's one of the top three general managers in the league. Like, what the F are you talking about? The Jets haven't had a winning season. Yeah, they had a great draft this year. They haven't had a winning season. They suck. Top three general manager. Come on now. But, you know, if you're willing to kind of do some things outside the box when it comes to the quarterback position, I think if you have a longer leash, you have more of the ability to kind of fight through some of these contract disputes. Um, That's, you know, and I've talked about these contract disputes and kind of how they're like a thing of the past. Um you know, before, but, you know, part of the thing, and maybe this is also because a lot of the coaches were general managers at the same time, which was the disaster more often than not, but you were able to kind of get into battles with a lot of these um, agents over it because you did have job security because you were the head coach. You know, if you were Bill Parcells, if you were Mike Shanahan, if you know, you were those guys, you know, at the beginning of your runs, you know, Dick Vermeil, um, you know, all, all these these guys, you had a lot of power. So, you know, you, you could you could have a contract dispute and get around it the same way like a Belichick probably could now, but there's very few other guys that can probably get away with that. So I I think when you um when you get into it, that would be the case. Now, people talk about collusion all the time and uh you know 99.9 percent of the time collusion doesn't exist but i think the nfl would you'd almost have to get into a collusion state and it would probably take some time you know if we're talking about like a natural progression of doing that um you know to where you would get there because the nfl is a copycat league so i i think if you saw 
you know, uh, for an example, the Eagles move off from Carson Wentz and move to Jalen Hurts. You know, that that's a perfect example. Um, you know, if, if there were a couple of teams that did that and were successful, I think you would other you would see other teams say, okay, you know what? Maybe it's okay to draft that quarterback. You know, and you you've got a couple examples of it, right? You've got the Eagles with Jalen Hurts, you got the Ravens with uh, Lamar Jackson. So you you do have a couple examples of it. You need a couple of those to kind of take off because one of the problems, and you know, I talk and I write about this all the time. I say, well, you know, you draft a quarterback, take a quarterback, take a quarterback, take a quarterback. There's not a lot of NFL worthy quarterbacks that come into the league. So you are while yeah, you might be able to get a guy that you can develop, um, you know, and do something with those players, by and large it's not like there's this giant crop of players coming into the NFL. I think that's that's also a big problem. Um, but, you know, for, for the most part, um, you know, I, I think, I, I just think it would take a couple of teams to uh, kind of be willing to, to kind of follow the models of a couple of these other teams, kind of blow off a late first round pick, blow off a second round pick and say, all right, I, I'd rather go with a quarterback. Um, you know, and y- you can find a lot of guys historically where that's probably worked. You know, when Andy Dalton, I think was a second round pick. Colin Kaepernick was a second round pick. Now I know these guys weren't great players, but the teams were better off with those guys at quarterback probably until they got a little bit more expensive, um, you know, than sticking with the Carson Palmers. Uh, even though Carson Palmer was a, you know, good quarterback and obviously had a nice little run in Arizona, um, you know, that that that's just kind of, you know, what I think it would be. But I do think the league could get there, but it's almost like you would need a lot of teams to force it to get there. Uh, let's see, Joe has a question. Um... Vikings fan wanted a full rebuild since 2020 and agree with your analysis of them. Think the refusal to move off players at appropriate times to recoup draft uh, capital or cap space since 27 this, uh, 2017 has put them in a bad spot. If Vikings do finally hit the reset button. What do you think the trade value of the players would be? Uh, Kirk Cousins, mid to late first. Uh, probably around that. You know, it, it's a one-year deal. He's coming off a playoff year. Maybe. Um, you know, again, it might be one of those where it's like a conditional. Um, you know, you get something this year and maybe you can get a first next year. Uh, Danell Hunter, late first, early second. I would say a second for him. Dalvin Cook, fourth, fifth. I wouldn't give anything for Dalvin Cook. So Darius Smith, fourth or fifth. Um, probably around that. Uh, Thielen, Kendricks, Harrison Smith would have to be cut. Harrison's, uh, Adam Thielen would have no trade value. Smith, probably not. Kendricks, eh, you might get a mid-round pick for him. Eh, Smith, you might get a mid-round pick for. Uh, Thielen, I don't think would have any, any trade value. Um, Zedarius Smith is the interesting one. I, I, you might be able to get a third for him off the season he had. I, he did tail off a bit. Um... I don't know. It probably around that. Uh, I but I think Cousins maybe in that area. Hunter. You know the other problem with Hunter is he's he's gonna moan about the contract. So I don't know. Um, so maybe that's a two three. 
Uh, Cook is really the only one that I, I would say I'd probably disagree with. I, I just don't see any value in him. And I'm not even looking up his salary. I'm sure it's high. I just don't see the value there. Dalvin Cook is at the point where um, you know, you get blindsided because he occasionally throws off like a big run. Once he hits a big run, you should just bench him for the rest of the game. Um, you know, but it's all based on he still has that ability to hit a home run when there's like a perfect play for him. When that's gone, there's just nothing left there. Uh, well, says, I think you'd be shocked to see the number of Viking fans who are done with kicking the can down the road want to blow it up despite winning 13 games. No, I actually don't think I'd be that surprised by that. You know, the Vikings, the Vikings fan base and the Raiders fan base are a little bit similar in that regard that there's a, a very optimistic portion of the fan base and a more realistic portion of the fan base. I'm not going to say pessimistic, just a more realistic portion of the fan base. Now, I it's not to the extent that that, you know, there's the the Derek Carr thing in uh with the Raiders. Like when Derek Carr was signed, re-signed and it's only like a 5 million dollar raise he got this year. There are people that were just like what are we doing? And you know, other people that were like, "Oh, this is great. He's a Super Bowl quarterback." Um you know, it's not to that extreme, but I would say I've seen a lot of Vikings fans on my timeline uh, over the last year, year and a half, two years, uh, whatever, that have been, I think, pretty realistic about the uh, the roster. Peter, uh, concerning the Titans, oh, Titans questions. Uh, what happens with Taylor Luan, the last year of his contract, often injured, $14 million salary, asked him to take a pay cut to maybe $8 million. Um, yeah, I, I would guess that's possible. Um, that they could do that. Uh, let me look up his deal real quick, um, you know, and see. You know, it, it's, I think the question is going to be, you've got a new general manager coming in. So you, you've got the leeway to ask for that kind of pay cut without really making things get bad. But I, I think the question here is going to be, how much power does he have, um, you know, over the whole situation? Uh, yeah, he's been on IR two of the last three years. You know, I personally, I, I think you would look and you would try to see if there's a trade that might be available for him. Um, I think you would do that before you just cut him out. Right. But I think it's realistic that you, you could look to bring his salary down and, um, you know, give him an opportunity to earn that money back in incentives. Um, but yeah, you know, as he enters the last year of that deal, I, I can't imagine they'd extend him. So I think that would be, um, you know, a possibility. I have a friend who says the Titans will trade Henry for picks. The best I think they get a day three pick. Um, in any case, the Titans stadium will be a ghost town next year without Henry. I think they keep him. So again, that gets into, you know, how much power do you have as general manager? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, you know, from a business aspect, um, Derek Henry is going to sell jerseys. Derek Henry is at least going to get people to probably re-up for season tickets, even though Derek Henry is probably not driving them to the playoffs. Um, I could see a situation where you look at it from that perspective, kind of like the Panthers maybe did with uh, Christian McCaffrey this past year. And I know that they were in a little bit more of a bind because of the contract situation, but I, I think you might look at that and, um, you know, get to the point where you're like, well, you keep them and then you trade them in season. And, 
you know, it doesn't make you look bad because you're just getting whatever you can for him at that point in time because you've fallen out of the playoff hunt. Or, you know, if you're in the playoff hunt, maybe you keep him. Um, you know, at that point, your season tickets are sold, your jerseys are sold, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think from a, you know, overall standpoint, business standpoint, I almost think that's like the way that you do it. Um, you know, I, I think that that's that probably makes the most sense. Um, you know, I, it, the Titans are in a weird spot. You know, that's, you know, I mentioned the Bills before. Like, you know, you, you've made it three years in a row. You know, you know you can't do again the same stuff. Like, your window is gone with that group. Um, you know, you, your goal is to just keep the window from completely shutting uh, to where it becomes a mess. You know, even if next year it ends up a wild card out, you know, the Titans didn't want to do that. Like, I, I said that all the offseason. Like, there, there was no reason for the Titans to you know, double down on their roster this year. It just wasn't that good, but they did it anyway. Um, you know, and they, they, well, they started out okay, much better than I thought they would be. I think I even mentioned that at some point. I think Vrabel's a great coach. Um, you know, they, they, by the end of the year, you know, they, they were terrible. Um, you know, so I, I don't think it makes sense to have Henry next year. I don't think it makes sense to have Tannehill there. But I think in Henry's case, there, there's a viable reason for why you're going to keep him, at least for a portion of the season. And when it comes to trade market, here's one of the other things. Remember, with Jacobs out there, with Barkley out there, um, your trade is going to be a little bit more limited on him, probably right up front, especially if those guys leave the, the Giants and the Raiders, respectively. Um, you know, and again, that that's where you get into the... Regular season. I see Nelly has made her way out finally. Uh, Bud Dupree, Zach Cunningham, Rob Woods, all gone. Yeah, sure. They're 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 toast. I mean, I don't know what you would be keeping. You know, some of those guys for. All right, let's take a look with um, what we've got on Twitter. Let's see here. Got a couple of <laughs> a couple of things on my timeline about the Royal Rumble. That is tonight. Not watching that. Oh, geez, I got a lot of comments on this. This might be a lot of questions. This could be a long podcast, isn't it? All right, we're ready at 140. See if I can fire through them, but I'm not good at firing through stuff. All right, luckily we've still got a couple more drinks upstairs. Brian, free agent targets for the Raiders. Um, I think you just start with the quarterback, and then you, you're going to look at the defense. I'm not going to go into specific names right now. First, got to create a lot of cap room. Um they need to do some stuff there beyond just getting rid of Derek Carr uh, before they get that. Uh, Zach, do you see Austin Eckler getting another decent-sized deal? And if yes, will it come from the Chargers? Um, that's an interesting one. You know, so he's going into the last year of his contract, right, with the Chargers, I think. Um, let me just see. I know you're in an escalator for the year. So I think, you know... He falls into one of these weird categories. So, you know, he's, uh, how old? He'll be 28 this season. But, you know, if you subscribe to the theory about, you know, kind of like how much um, wear and tear, you know, the tread on the tires and all that stuff, he doesn't have as much as a lot of other guys. So if we just look at rush attempts, 
It was 47 as a rookie, 106 the next year, 132, 116. And so it's only been the last two years, 206, 204, where we've seen that workload increase. I, I, I don't get into the receiving stuff. That, that It's a completely different um, you know, kind of thing there. Um, my back end froze up on me here. That would probably make an interesting sound bite there. Uh, <laughs> no, the uh, the back end of the website here. So, yeah, this is his last year under contract. Um, I don't think the Chargers can create that much cap room with an extension. I wouldn't extend him if I was the Chargers. But looking at, you know, these numbers here and what he's done and the consistency and everything else, I think because of his skill set, and because there wasn't a ton of use when he was younger, I do think he's one of those rare running backs that could get into a third contract. I don't know if I would do it if I was the Chargers, though. Um, I, I, I don't know. I If it's going to happen, I feel like it would happen now as an extension. I just don't know if they can create enough cap room to really make that worthwhile. Mark, if Brady retires, could TV pay him a minimum salary each year to drag the dead cap out? Uh, could you just put him on IR with a back injury and blame it on age? Brady gets a nice pension and smooths dead cap. I also emailed a question. Um, emailed a question. Did I mention? Uh, let me just see if I... Uh, I'm okay, are you the Mark that asked about the Lamar Jackson one? Um, oh, there's another question here about a Kyler Murray contract. Uh, this is from England. Look at that. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of ones here. So this is Mark. Okay, this is Mark from England. So, all right. <laughs> Let's go into the podcast thing. I, I'm sorry, the emails. Uh, we'll go back again. This one didn't have podcast in there, but uh, I certainly didn't answer it. So let, let's go through Mark's questions here, and then we'll get to his current one. I had a question on Kyler Murray's contract with the all the changes in Arizona. If they don't exercise the option bonus, would it just stay as salary? So the cap hit from 16 to nearly 44. Yeah, that's exactly how most of them work, unless he has a non-exercise fee. Um, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, typically, options work in two ways. So one of the ways is that it's base salary that's converted to an option. So that's basically what you're talking about here. It goes from a $16 million to where the proration drops out, but the salary all kicks up. And your other option is sometimes they have what's called a non-exercise fee, which means you're still paying the option bonus, but instead of picking up the last year of the contract, you shorten it by one year, you shorten the proration by a year. Um, so instead of prorating over five years, I, I would guess as Murray should be uh, prorating over four. Uh, let's pull up Murray's contract and take a look here. This has potential to be the longest podcast I think I've ever done. Um, so he's got a $36 million option for the year. I Again, I don't know that mechanism of it, but yeah, instead of... Uh, Going for one, two, three, four, five. Uh, no, you know what? It, it would still prorate over five. It looks like they have enough years there. Um, so, yeah, that that's uh, that's the way that would work. Um, 
would this be something they would consider going forward if they were going to rebuild? Dead cap hits on the other contracts, leaving the cap hits lower moving forward. Less dead cap if they trade him. Um, I don't think so. I, I think the way that you would do this, you'd probably pick it up anyway. And you would just be looking at it as like, well, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, right? Either I'm carrying over the money or I'm not. So I think if in your mind, in the back of your head, you were saying, I might want to trade Kyler Murray. And my guess is it's definitely in the back of the mind of the general manager that's there. All right. Because I think there's a lot of guys on that team that think he doesn't work hard enough. I think there's a lot of people around the league that think that way. Um, I think you're probably looking at this as a situation where you're like, all right, we're going to do some things this year to try to make ourselves competitive, um, but we're not going to go wild with the salary cap stuff if we can, and we want to keep that ability open to trade him next year if we just want to go in a completely different direction. But I, I think that's more how you do it versus just taking the hit all at once um, in the deal. Uh, and another quick question, are loans or buyback trades allowed in the NFL, like in uh, European football? Uh, McVay leaves, Rams decide to tear it down the tank for a good quarterback. They trade Ramsey, Donald Stafford. They all go for first-round pick. Um, uh, can they be traded a lower-value second-round pick but have a clause or contingency to trade back for a higher-value pick in the future? So, yeah, they're... they're is an ability to do that. So that's where you're talking about performance clauses. And once in a while, once in a blue moon, this is what I think you're suggesting here. Um, once in a blue moon, you will see a trade that comes down where let let's say um, let's say the Jets traded a second round pick for Aaron Rodgers, and in this year this year's draft, and you have a contingency that says okay. That would escalate to a first-round pick in 2023 if the Jets made the playoffs. I'm sorry, in 2024, if the Jets made the playoffs in 2023. And you would have a kind of like a, another contingency on that that was like, okay, if that happens, the Packers would get the Jets' first-round pick in 2024. And to make the Jets whole for the second round pick they gave up in 2023, the Jets would get their second round pick back. They would get the Packers' second round pick in um, 2024. So once in a blue moon, you do see some trades like that. So, you know, basically you would give up a number two this year. And then the next year, if they hit some kind of um, statistical threshold, it would accelerate. You, you would send that team your first but you would get back their second you know just just as making you whole for the fact that you gave them um one a year before so hopefully that uh answers that um you know that covers what you were looking for uh let's see here now your actual question here was going back to tom brady um so okay if brady retires i don't know if they can just throw him on television. Um, I, I don't know what the rules to that would be. Obviously, we've seen injured players doing commentary, but typically that's in the playoffs. Um, you know, 
in terms of putting him in I- on IR and, you know, you, you probably couldn't put him on IR. Uh, you'd be able to put him for a period of time on something like Pup. But typically, the way that you would do that, and this is what's happened in the past, this is why I don't like the agents who do these deals to allow a team to June want a player. Um, basically, what you would do, let, let's say that you were the uh, the Buccaneers here with Tom Brady. You would give Brady the minimum salary next year. Um, I'm not even sure off the top of my head what it is. 116, 108. Let, let's just say it's $1.2 million. You would pay him $1.2 million next year to not do anything. You know, may, maybe you could throw him on PUP. Um, I don't think you could throw him on IR. I'm not even sure if you could throw him on the PUP list. You know, it would probably just basically be a no-show job. Um, you know, you, you would have his cap charge next year at, uh, you know, if you gave him a salary of $2 million, it'd be uh, $12.776 million. You'd be paying him $2 million, but the cap number would be 12776 versus $35.1 with it voiding. Then the following year, you could kind of do the same thing if you wanted to, or you could June 1 him at that point. You know, and split those numbers up. This is something that used to happen in the past. You know, the, the cap charge was so high to, to release a player. You would basically bring their salary all the way down. They would spend the year on physically unable to perform. They'd spend the year on like an IR list. Um, you know, something where you would just be like, we're just going to work on helping you rehab and, you know, we'll keep you on the roster and, uh, you know, we'll deal with it next year. So that that was kind of the way that that would happen. I don't know if they would allow Brady to go on television at the same time. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. Jason, uh, at what point does a uh, Gardner Minshew at $3 million offer more value than a car at 40 Too many overpaid uh, so-so quarterbacks. Whole teams begin realizing they're not worth the money. So I think in general, Gardner Minshew is a, a better value, you know, three, five, six, seven million than trading for Carr at 33 or 34. But uh, I think the issue is, you know, you your job as a general manager partially is self-preservation. And part of your job is to get praise from the press, to get praise from your owner. Um, your owner is, you know, forgetting the Aaron Rodgers stuff, your owner is probably going to be on board with you saying, well, I want to bring in a solid veteran quarterback that we know can play football. You know, you get the pat on the back for that. Um, you know, you you bring in a Derek Carr, you're going to have the writing in March and April talk about, you know, what Stafford meant to the Rams when he first got there and, you know, what this means for the organization that you've got a solid veteran quarterback, that it's the kind of quarterback that the team hasn't had uh, since Chad Pennington or something like that. Um, There's value in that to job security. Um, You know, there's also value in... You know, a, a guy like Derek Carr giving you a passable season to where, you know, you might be able to convince the ownership and maybe even some covering the team or fans of the team that you're really close. You know, it's so close, so close. And Carr is going to give you that answer. 
you know, for a while versus if you have the same record with Minshew and let's say you finish seven and nine or something like that, where you just look at it and go, man, there's no upside with this team. You know, it just becomes a harder sell. So I think that that's probably uh, kind of why that comes into play. You know, it gets into what I talked about before, that we don't give certain general managers probably the leeway they deserve. And, you know, I'm like I said, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. But if you're working within the confines of the current NFL system, if you can't produce a winner in two years, and winner, I just mean qualifying for the playoffs, um, you know, unless you took over a complete disaster of a franchise... You know, you you probably aren't, you know, worth anything. Uh, Manfred of Hanover, Lamar Jackson. Other than a fully guaranteed contract, what would be the best contract he could get otherwise? Um, you know, using the Ravens model, you know, it would basically be something that was just crazy amount of money this year. Like, uh, you know, they actually paid him say a hundred million dollar salary this year you know obviously a lot of that is a bonus but you know let's say something like that you know you'd pay him 80 million dollars signing bonus and another 10 or 15 or 20 million dollar base salary um you know i think that's the kind of deal that the ravens i don't know if they'd go that high but that's the kind of real deal the ravens would be looking for and that would obviously be a massive, massive deal for him, even if that guarantee number is not out there, that the the money is just ridiculously higher than anybody else. Uh, David, what does Washington do now? I know you're low on the team in front office, but say you're in charge for a day, what happens? I I I don't know. Yeah, that 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 team is they're they're just going nowhere. Um Like, I, I, I can't look at that team and see anything that's just, like, positive. I mean, you've got no quarterback at all. Um, you know, you got a couple of guys on defense. You probably have a couple of guys on defense that are overrated. Like, it, you know, Washington is a team that needs to stink really bad to get a quarterback or has to probably go kind of above and beyond in the, the trade market and just give a lot up to trade for somebody in the draft. Um, and I, I guess that's what I would do. Um, you know, I I haven't written about them yet. Man, they, they just feel like a team that's nowhere. Um, you know, 16... It, it is like the perfect example of being in like quarterback hell, you know, with it, with your uh, quarterback situation that's there. So, I mean, you're, you're 16 straight across the board. Um, you don't have a third round pick. You got a compensatory probably coming your way there. And the sixth, I think Nick has him. Um, you know, if, if you want long-term change, I mean, you're going to have to trade up to get a quarterback. I mean, I I don't know what else you can do at this point. Um, There's just no quick fix for him. How much should Seattle offer Geno? That's a good question. Um, 
I would probably just tag him, and then I would offer him a deal that was like twenty-five a year, but offered him a guarantee that was a little higher than the tag. So, in other words, uh, let, let's say the tag is thirty-two. Um, offer him a deal that's twenty-five a year, and you know it'll he'll either earn thirty-two this year or. You know, you guarantee say twenty seven this year, and you'll guarantee another five or six next year to you know to get him to that number. I'm not offering him anything more than a two year contract. I don't think, and I'm not offering him anything that's a guarantee more than basically the franchise tag. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, if Seattle can't come out of this um, draft with a quarterback, I, I think that's going to be a disappointment. Um, I, I think this is the classic situation where you. Uh, you draft a quarterback and you, um, you know, give the veteran the opportunity to hold that position and you just see the way the season goes before you turn it over. AstroCat, uh, will we ever see NBA-style creative uh, trades in the NFL? Like, we'll send you our MVP player for the rest of the season. You give him a new front-loaded contract, write the biggest check, and we'll send you two first to get him back on that cheap. No, I don't think so. They, they, they... Well, there are ways that you can kind of circumvent the cap a little bit to do kind of cap um, cap space for you know player trades. Uh, the NBA, I think, allows a lot more stuff, and I think the the NFL is a lot more stringent in what they they will allow in the trade department. Sam, are the Steelers really in dire straits cap uh, cap wise? All uh, Big Den. Big Ben's money off the books, aside from TJ Minka, doesn't it feel like they have many big deals out there? So I think the Steelers, um, you know, they're a team, you know, let, let me just pull up their, their cap number here, but they're like middle of the road, you know, they're basically right up against the cap for this, this upcoming year. Um, you know, they're a team where, you know, they have players, they don't like to cut guys. You know, the, the, I would imagine they'll cut Jackson. You know that that'll save twelve. But you know, traditionally they're they're a team that just kind of goes in there and restructures. Like you'll take DJ Watts deal, you restructure. You'll take Hayward's deal, restructure. You'll take Fitzpatrick, restructure. So uh, while I don't think that they're in like a like a cap disaster scenario, um, you know, I. I I don't know. I, I just think they're a team. And yeah, Roethlisberger should be completely gone off the books now. Um, you know, they, they don't really utilize free agency. So, you know, I, I just think they fall into these uh, these categories where they're, they're always, like, year after year, the way they do their planning, which is probably decent, um, you know, compared to the teams that just really go crazy. I think when they do their planning, a lot of it is based on being right up against the salary cap, um, you know. But when when you're a team that's basically eight and eight, now they do have the rookie quarterback, so maybe they make that big leap next year. But it, it's almost like you, you're just constantly buying into like a five hundred kind of team, you know, or you know that nobody's five hundred, I guess anymore. So nine and eight, um, or eight and nine, you know, something like that. But they're not in a disaster spot cap-wise. Um, you know, they, they are what they are. This is just how the Steelers operate. Finn, how do the Bengals structure Burrow Chase to keep it from crippling the usually cheap Mike Brown? Will the window close once they lock him up or Higgins Bates let go? So I don't think the window closes. 
But, you know, again, now, now you're talking about having to go back in the draft where you're not in as good of a position where you're drafting. And you've got to draft some players at good positions to, to kind of make up uh, for that. You know, one of the things that I always preach and not a lot of people seem to agree with, um, when you have these players like a Jamar Chase, uh, and they're probably, um, you know, they're going to keep Jamar Chase, but when you have a Jamar Chase, when you have a decent edge rusher, um, you know, ready on your team, sometimes the right move when you have another draft pick is actually to draft the replacements. And it may wind up where you have both of those players on the team at one point in time, but you know, it also might give you a situation where you can trade away the higher priced player, uh, knowing that you already have someone in the pipeline to come up. That's why with the exception of, uh, you know, that elite level quarterback type of player, I almost think it's it's best suited to always have this pipeline of guys coming through to where, you know, maybe you don't get stuck on the um, $30 million edge rusher contract. You don't get stuck on the $25 million wide receiver contract. You don't get stuck on the $20 million cornerback contract. You don't get stuck on... Um, Eh, left tackle, they probably have a little bit of a longer career. Maybe that one's not as bad. But, you know, you don't get stuck on some of those deals. You know, that you've at least tried to insulate yourself from a contract dispute. You've tried to, uh, you know, give yourself a different option to where you can bring back draft capital um, and at the same time, you know, kind of get the best performance out of that deal. So I think that that's just one of the areas where, teams don't approach the draft properly where you know you look at these best available players or you look at immediate need which leads to like running backs and linebackers the way that i look at it is when you look at the money involved and when you look at the fact that most of these players their best years are years three four and five of their careers um realistically you know you should just be looking at it if we're talking about a first round pick they just last the length of their rookie deal and then you move on you know, or maybe they last the length of the rookie deal plus a franchise tag, and then you move on. And by moving on, I probably mean you tag them again and you trade them, or you tag them a first time and you trade them. Um, you know, versus the the other option, which is just that you you know resign those players because you didn't even attempt to consider the fact that, oh, you know, maybe we can find another player at that position that's good. You know, I. I can buy a running back cheap. I can buy a linebacker cheap. I can buy a corner. That might not be cheap, but I can buy a corner. I can buy a defensive tackle. I can buy a guard. I can buy a center. Why do I want to waste my, you know, higher draft capital on those players? You know, I'd rather throw three darts at an edge rusher and allow one of my edge rushers to leave and maybe I get a first or second round pick in return for that player. Uh, what's a realistic count, uh, contract for Caleb McGarry? Uh, he's had three subpar years, followed by a great year. Um, this is one that I looked into recently, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, he he's a player um, because of where he was drafted and the way he's played this year to where, you know, you could probably look at him and say, you know, he's not going to resign with the Falcons, 
unless the Falcons offer him like $17, $18 million a year. His career, though, has also been so up and down, so, you know, uh, so volatile that I could see a scenario where he goes into free agency and he doesn't get 10. You know, it, it's a it's a really interesting free agency. Um, you know, I, I think it's the way that you value him. And I, I don't know which of those extremes it will be, but I would guess if they don't offer him the higher number, he tests free agency. Um, but I could easily see a scenario where in free agency he doesn't get that 15 plus a year. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for both sides to kind of say, all right, you know, you, you want to come out of this with the least risk, I guess you'd say 15 a year, um, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. But, you know, it, it, it's, um, it, it's a, that, that to me is a tough one. Michael, um, what team has paid out the most incentive money so far this year? Oh, geez. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know. Um, maybe the... It's got to be the Bears or the Patriots. Uh, the Vikings, too? They, they were another team that was uh, kind of in that mix. Um, let me just look at some teams um oh, i just don't have the numbers in front of me uh as to what i have in there um just looking through stuff i have you know what let, let, let me look real quick at what i have as my adjustments i have estimated adjustments that i keep for the teams which are by no means um you know, going to be the actual numbers, but at least they'll, they'll put you somewhere close in there. So this is based on last year. Um, just give me a second to look these up. I always find it amusing when these get copied. Okay, so... I have the Patriots as the most adjustments. I have the Bears, number two. I have the Vikings, number three. Chiefs, four. Seahawks, five. Seahawks is all Geno Smith, so that that doesn't actually carry over. Um, the Bears is a lot, is Riley Reef, which doesn't carry over. Zadarius Smith is partial on the Vikings. That does carry over, though I think I have that number two high. i got to reduce that. It's probably the Patriots that have the most incentive money that's going to count and certainly that impacted the cap from last year. Uh, let's see, another one from AstroCat. Uh, why aren't there deals where a player is signed to a percentage of the cap uh, payroll instead of a flat number, then quarterbacks and others don't have to project future cap totals? Um, teams want certainty. And there is no certainty when you ta when you peg something to the cap. You know, you're, you're looking for a value. And a value on a player is not to peg it to the cap. It's to get a salary that's going to um, be, you know, the way that it works on the cap for you is going to be advantageous for you as a team. So you're not going to look to do that. Thomas, given his performance this season, I guess Nick Bosa is going to be the highest paid defensive player. 
Your best estimate on the contract extension with the 49ers cap issues keep the 49ers from extending him. So no, the, the cap the cap's not going to be an issue um, in terms of extending him. I mean, he uh, he's on the option, right? So, I mean, his cap number is already baked in at 18. So, I mean, you'll bring that down on any extension that you do. Uh, I would guess he'll be the highest paid pay, uh, player. You know, Aaron Donald's number is a little out there. I, I would guess San Francisco would have wanted to make him the first $30 million a year player. But at that point, what's an extra $2 million a year? So, um, you know, I, I, I would guess that uh, I'll just throw it out there that it's going to be 32 a year, you know, maybe a four-year extension, um, something like that. Canes, thoughts on the Panthers possibly trading up to number one and drafting a uh, quarterback um, to pair with Frank Reich? Um, I don't think they'll be able to get there, uh, but I do think they should be aggressive in attempting to trade up, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do trade up. New York Jets scope. Can Aaron Rodgers be traded prior June 1, and would it take a rework contract? No, it wouldn't take a rework contract, but he can definitely be uh, traded prior June 1st. Uh, but I could see a scenario where the Packers would want to wait. Bob, what would DeMar Hamlin have to do next season to accrue a year of service? Can he spend the year on Pup and it counts, or does he have to be active in a game? Nope, Pup will, Pup will count, and I'd imagine that's where he's going to end up. Um, so he'll, he'll get a year of service next year. JR, it's been said that Ron Vera has been given a budget this offseason while the team is being sold. It's also been speculated that Snyder has cash flow problems. Assuming this is all to be true, how want we see it manifest? Uh, I would guess that would mean that, you know, maybe a couple of the guys that want extensions aren't going to get them and uh, they won't be active in free agency. Rico, uh, if you're a team trading for Rodgers, do you wait until after June 1 to make the deal? Uh, no. You know, you want a commitment before that because if you're trading for Rodgers, you need to know going into free agency that you're building a team around Aaron Rodgers. So uh, you'll need to know before that. Is there any chance that a deal is made or announced before then, even if it only becomes official after June? Yes, that I think there's a possibility of. Um, I would put that less than 50-50, but I do think there's a possibility of it. James, anyway, the Jets can fit Rodgers and a Quinn in an extension and still be active in free agency. Um, yeah, sure. You know, there's other guys they can cut and, you know, you, you can just make sure that there's a lot of money that's set off in the future versus uh, hitting the cap this year. Mike, is there a reasonable way to keep Juwan Taylor and Evan Ingram both coming off careers and in free agency? If both are signed, does that hamper the Jags doing anything in free agency? Um, I got to look at their cap situation. Uh, I Troy does all the AFC South. So the AFC South is the, the group of teams that I am the least familiar with right off the top of my head. Um, and I have not already done a write-up on the Jaguars. So I am not up enough on Jacksonville to comment on that right now. Uh, even Peter King mentioned his uh, Monday morning quarterback article about the Packers wanting two firsts for Rodgers and Woody being happy to pay that price. Surely at Rodgers' age and cap number, two firsts would be egregious. Yeah, I think so too. But, uh, you know, if Woody wants him, Woody will dictate. Uh, let's see. Should quarterbacks who are strong at rushing be paid less? Lamar, Kyler didn't make it through a season without an injury. Cam is another example, even luck. Um, I wouldn't put luck in that category at all. Um, you know, Luck walked away. I, I I wouldn't put him in that one. There's other quarterbacks you can put in that category. 
Um, I don't know. You know, it, it's a uh, it's an interesting question as to you know how much of their game is based on that rushing impact. Um, you know, and how much have they grown as a passer? You know, Jackson's a little hard to evaluate. They don't have anybody on that team for him really to throw the ball to. Like, yeah, I know I say all the time, you know, you have a great quarterback. He's going to make your wide receiver room better immediately. But, you know, when your wide receiver room is, I don't even, who who do they have there? Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins at the end of the year. You know, there's only so much you can do um, with those type of players. But, yeah, my, my own opinion of it, um, and this really, th- th- there's no basis in fact here. This is just uh, pure opinion, just seeing guys in the past. Um, I feel as if that running impact will at some point vanish uh, over the course of their first veteran contract. So if they're not a, a player that can take that, you know, kind of that step to be a 4,000 yard plus pass passer, um, you know, you, you probably want to be a little bit more concerned um, about what they do. But I think you can be strong at rushing and you're still going to be a very good quarterback um, even when those rushes don't come. But I, I think you also have to look at the the overall picture. You know, if all you're getting from the quarterback is rushing, I think you'd be a little bit more worried about that. Like Justin Fields this year in Chicago – I would say the majority of his impact came from his ability to run with the football. I'd be worried about that being the the long term, like um, you know, for a player. So I'd be a little concerned with it, um, but I, I think you have to you have to take in, into account each situation individually. Garrett, um, saw your breakdown of Quan Rogers and what the cap hits would be for the Jets in the future. Anyway, we can see what those dead cap numbers will be as well. Uh, would the Jets be hindered significantly long-term after the first two years? So I kind of mentioned that before. Um, you know, yeah, you'd be hindered, but at that point, you know, if things have gone that bad, um, you're going to go through a period of hurt anyway. So I don't think you look at it that way. And, you know, let's say Aaron Rodgers does come to New York and let's say he comes to the Jets. Let's say he does well in 2023 and the Jets make the divisional round or the conference championship round. And he comes back in 2024 and the Jets make the wild card round or divisional round again. Aaron Rodgers is not going to retire at that point in time or he's not going to demand his way out. Let's put it that way. He might retire. He's not going to demand his way out. So basically, I think the way that you look at it is... If the Aaron Rodgers situation goes well and you're the Jets, he's going to stick around. And so you don't have to worry about all that dead cap money anytime soon. If things go poorly and you only get one decent year out of him or no decent years out of him, everybody's getting fired and you're doing a reset on the organization. So what difference does it make for one year if you just have a big... uh, you know, cap hit for him. So I, I think the 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 potential results are so extreme on both sides um, that I, I don't think it's something that you worry about. 
Jetsfan88, do you have any thoughts about the new Sunday ticket deal, plans or options you'd like to see? Um, well, we don't have DirecTV, so I would be more uh, more into using YouTube. Uh, I don't know how this is going to work if you want to go out to a bar and watch a game. Um, I think it's good if they offer individual team packages versus the season ticket package. But, you know, for me... Not that we go and, um, you know, with, with the kids and their schedules and stuff, but, you know, when we used to go um, to my in-laws, for example, uh, during the football season, you know, we'd always have to go out um, on a Sunday to watch the football games. A lot of times that'd be the same time we were driving home. Um, so usually that meant my wife was driving home, but, you know, we, we would go out to one of the bars to where they had Sunday ticket to where we could watch the games. So, you know, having the ability to, to buy a single game would be pretty good. Um, you know, if we make our trips to Disney during the season, you know, we did that this year. We'll probably do that again this year at some point. Um, you know, if we go in the fall, it'd be good to be able to buy a single, you know, a single game or just to, to have that out of market kind of stuff. So I, I think I, I look at that as buying single games, almost like a quote unquote pay-per-view event, um, or just, you know, having the ability to do some stuff like that, uh, not having the other, uh, the old Sunday ticket package, I don't know what the ability was to, you know, buy the season and split your screen up into three, four, or five games. Uh, I think that would actually be kind of cool um, to do, but maybe maybe that ability was already there. Um, but mainly for me personally, I, I would just like the ability to to uh, purchase single games so when I am not home, I can easily watch the Jets, um, you know, without having to do that so for like this past year when the jets played the uh seahawks the when we were away you know i only caught bits and pieces of it while sitting in the airport i think i was tweeting about it when watching it and the rest of it i just kind of listened to on the radio a little bit um since i was able to get that broadcast in um the jets played on thursday night before that so we didn't miss the first end of that game but you know the the single ticket game i, I would have been walking around with the phone uh while walking around epcot or something while watching that Uh, Robert, what's the draft pick compensation for Gino if he's non-exclusive tagged and signs elsewhere? That's two first-round picks. I don't think another team would sign him if that's the, the price involved. Shane, I really want to understand how Kyle's cap hit dropped so dramatically in 2024 if he's cut versus if he was cut this year. So this is one of those situations where um, it's not really accurate. And I, I can't really play it out because this is all like, um, you know, kind of if or kind of scenarios. Or actually, 2024. Uh, hold on. Let, let me just see if I'm, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Because his salary is already guaranteed that year. Um, so let me just see what it says here. I was just going to speak from memory, and that was probably wrong. So, yeah, so the reason it drops, I mean, it's still very high, 96 to 81 million. Um, you know, it, it's simply because there, there's more guaranteed salary um, from 2023 plus guaranteed salary in 2024. Um, so that's why, but the numbers are high in both cases. I mean, they're they're huge. So really, your your main thing, if he's going to go, is going to be a trade. Um, where in twenty twenty four, that'd be like a forty six two. 
um, you know, if you were going to trade him away. So, you know, the, the, the numbers, the, the numbers on, you know, anything with him are very, very high. But the, the reason for the drop down is because his 2023 and his 2024 salary um, are already guaranteed. But, you know, he, he's going to be difficult to, you're not going to be able to cut Kyler Murray. Let, let's just put it that way. You might be able to trade him. He will never be able to be cut anytime soon. Uh, what do you think of the Chiefs' position going forward? They have a lot of draft picks next year, no dead cap hits, and get a lot of cap space through restructures, cuts, and extensions. Um, I, I wouldn't really look to gain a bunch of cap space. I'd just get enough to be functional. I think the Chiefs approached everything perfectly this year. Um, they didn't go wild with their cap stuff. They didn't let a contract for Tyreek Hill or anything like that really um, compromise their system. I think they went in there. They focused on the draft for the year. Uh, they kind of kept things, you know, as I mentioned before, with Mahomes as is. And I think they they took a very solid kind of long-term approach to their roster and their uh, salary cap management. And I think they are in a... They're in as good a position as you could ever be in with a quarterback that's going to cost you 45 million bucks a year. Uh, Hop, what would be a surprise cut due to salary cap reasons you could see happening that no one's talking about, like Bakhtiari post-June if uh, Rodgers is traded? So I think that would be the one, right? I kind of mentioned that before. Uh, I, I think it would be a player like that. I think it'd be like a Bakhtiari that would, uh, that would vanish um, simply because of other things that happened. But yeah, you'd mainly be looking at like a guy that's a big name player who's been hurt a lot and has a team that's uh, kind of, you know, going into rebuilding mode or somewhat like that. And I think that would be uh, Green Bay in that case. Sun Moon Rise 31. Uh, who do you think is the best GM in the current NFL or the top three GMs in the league from a cap space management? I mean, in terms of creativity, there's nobody better than Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia is the, they're just the cream of the crop when it comes to that. Um, they're very good at looking at the rules, manipulating the rules, um, finding creative ways to work within the rules. They're a team that's copied by other organizations. If you're copied by other teams that puts you on a pedestal, um, that puts you on a level above everybody else. So even though the Eagles do some stuff that I'm not crazy about, the way the Eagles manipulate everything is just above and beyond anybody else, um, you know, with what they do. Uh, after the Eagles, you know, I think it gets a little trickier um, when you look at those teams you know, I mean, long-term, I think the 49ers are very good, but I think that's more of a statement about the 49ers' overall front office than just Lynch himself. Uh, I think some of the deals that they've done, which I always categorize as like, okay, those are the Lynch deals, not being great are probably a little bit more than the general manager uh, versus a lot of the other stuff they do is on football admin, but... You know, overall, um, again, I think that's a team that just does a tremendous job, um, you know, top to bottom with everything they do. Uh, so I would probably put them as number two. 
I can't put the Patriots in there anymore. They just do too much dumb stuff. Uh, Seahawks, Raven. You know, Ravens. Ravens are not there from a cap space management perspective. Ravens are there in other ways. They're not there from that. Just looking at the, you know, maybe I'd put the Chiefs at number three. I mean, just on the strength of the Mahomes contract itself. Um, you know, I th so I think at number three, I'm going to put either the Chiefs or the Bills. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like the Von Miller thing um, this year. I, I think I was kind of vocal about some of that stuff, that these were not very Buffalo-ish moves. But, uh, you know, just, just as a overall perspective, I, I think I'd look at those two teams and I, I'd probably uh, put them in there. Uh, Ricker, preview the Giants offseason. How much cap space, likely cuts, extension candidates, and their values. Oh, boy. Um, I wrote about them this week. Uh, you know, I... Not a lot of cap room uh, when it's, you know, when you, you look at the whole thing. You know, I, I look at Barkley and I say, if he's not going to take 12 a year, you don't bring him back. Um, you know, now maybe you get an extension done with Jones first, then you tag Barkley and you deal with that nonsense. After the fact, excuse me. Um, Jones to me is the complicated thing. You know, I, I have not moved off my stance on him at all that if you are going to extend him, it can't be anything different than like what I mentioned about that Geno Smith deal. You know, two years, 25 a year where you guarantee 32, 33 or something like that. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense um, to do anything longer term with that. So, you know, I, I think that's the, um, that's the issue there, but it's what they do with Jones that probably determines if Barkley's going to be free agent or not. Because, you know, the Giants don't have any other quarterback they can turn to. So it's almost like you're in a bind, um, which is probably one of the reasons why you could have at least argued that maybe they could have picked up his option for as bad as things were before this. Um, just because you didn't have another option that you could turn to, but maybe they thought they'd be that bad that they could draft somebody. Um you know, and obviously uh, Dexter Lawrence, you know, he's going to get a lot. If I'm him, I'm going to wait until Quinton Williams is signed and uh, kind of go from there. So I, I, would, I wouldn't I would rush if I was him. I, I would wait until the summer, um, you know, to really push it. You know, I, I think the Giants overall, I, I think my take when I wrote about the Giants is you can't get distracted by a playoff run this year. You got to kind of stay the course with what you saw as your vision for the team you know, if you're the general manager, if you're the head coach, um, you know, don't get caught up in what happened, um, you know, this year. Just, you know, keep your, you know, keep, you know, steady on it. Now, the Daniel Jones thing probably throws a little bit of a monkey wrench in it. But, you know, you, you, you've got to still stay steady. And even if that means keeping Jones, that's fine. But you've got to keep him at a reasonable number, not some, you know, Crazy, crazy, crazy number. All right, another 11. <laughs> Whether it's 11 questions or not, who knows. Uh, okay, I quit that one. All right, uh, 
I like moving images. Why isn't Quinn and Williams signed yet? Again, uh, giving him a huge extension, lower a cap for the upcoming season. So yeah, the lowest cap number by a couple of million dollars. There is no reason for the Jets to do an extension for Quinn and Williams right now. You never. It's very rare that you see extensions this time of year. Uh, Seahawks did extend their kicker, but pretty much no extensions get done until after the Super Bowl. Usually, well after the Super Bowl. So. I don't think there would be any reason for the Jets to do an extension right now. Um, maybe over the week of the Combine, leading into the Combine, right out of the Combine, um, you know, or in the summer. Who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, just as long as you get it done. John, can you explain the difference between fully guaranteed, total guaranteed, and virtually guaranteed? So uh, fully guaranteed means on the day you sign the deal, the team agrees that they will pay you X amount of dollars even if they cut you. So um, let's say that, you know, they, they say that we will pay you $100 million for skill, for injury, for salary cap. Those are the three reasons you can be cut. Um, you know, that means you're guaranteed to earn at least $100 million. Total guaranteed is what they guarantee you for um, injury, basically. So whereas 100 might be full, they might have 150 million that's guaranteed for injury. Meaning if you had a catastrophic injury, like I blew out both of my knees and my legs fell off, um, they would still have to pay me $150 million. Um, so that's my total guarantee. Virtually guaranteed means if you look at the structure on the contract... Um, you can see that there's no out for the team. So while I might have $100 million on paper fully guaranteed, I may have another $60 million on the first day of the league year in 2023 um, that becomes guaranteed in 2024 and 2025. Well, if I just signed this deal in 2022, I know I ain't getting cut. So... You know, that, that salary, even though it's not fully guaranteed on a piece of paper, it's virtually guaranteed. I'm going to earn it, um, barring some kind of bizarre scenario. So really, that's what it is. Fully guaranteed is what's in the contract on the day it's signed. Total is your injury protection. Virtually is if you do a logical present, uh, procession of the contract or progression of the contract, um, what is the guaranteed number going to be uh, for the player before they're, they could reasonably be cut because of the salary cap consequences or any other reasons? Evans, assuming Tom Brady is signed by another team, the Bucks take his full dead cap number. How draconian will the Bucks have to be to get cap compliant? Uh, the Bucks are a mess right now. Um, they fired the whole staff. Todd Bowles feels like dead man walking if Brady's not coming back. You know, th this is just... To me, it's having a fall guy to insulate the general manager. They went all in on this team. They they are going to have to, uh, you know, slice and dice and figure out a bunch of stuff that they can do to kind of get out of this little mess they've created. Uh, Johnny, uh, how much cap room could the Vikings create by cutting all their high-salaried vets besides <laughs> their cousins? Uh, let's take a look at that. That's a That's an interesting one. All right, so we're not going to get rid of Kirk. So we'll create uh, $6.4 million by getting rid of Adam Thielen. We'll create another five point two, getting rid of Brian O'Neill. We'll get uh, seven four with Harrison Smith. So that's 13. 
18, about 19. We get rid of Zadarius Smith. That's uh, another 12, so 31 million. Dalvin Cook would be another 8. That gets us to 39. Kendricks, 9-5. Uh, so let's call that 50. Jordan Hicks is another 5. That's 5-5. Five, five. CJ Ham. So they can get to they they can create about sixty million in cap room. Uh, right now we estimate them to be about twenty three over the cap. So you know you can get about forty million in cap space if you just started cutting everybody under the sun. Brian, I've just discovered your YouTube channel after all these years and watched a few of your videos. Now the year and a half has passed on a scale of thirty six to eighty seven. How ecstatic are you? The Jets fought for offsets in Zach Wilson's contract. I still don't care. It was a waste of time. Um, I don't use the YouTube channel enough. I did say one of these days I will do it. We'll do the uh, some of these off-season overviews in there where we can just run the calculators or Excel sheets or something on there. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll get back to doing that. And like I mentioned before about doing the podcast and throwing it on YouTube. Uh, we don't even I don't I don't even think we throw a link to YouTube on uh, OTC just because I I don't do it enough. Um, I, though I always get really good comments about some, the couple of videos that I've put on there. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I don't really care that Jets fought for offsets. I mean, it's such a, it's such a small number in the grand scheme of things. It's just not worth the effort. Um, all right. Kool-Aid man. If the Jets were to trade their first this year to say Houston, Tampa, Vegas for their next year first, what other picks would likely be included? So I think if you did something like that, um, you'd probably be talking about taking a team's second round pick and this year and getting a first round pick the following year. Uh, I think that's probably what that would be. Uh, what's your best guess for returns, restructure, or release for Jets that are either free agents or guys that could be on the chopping block and where would that put them roughly to spend in free agency? So, you know, I, I'm pretty sure... Um, all right, let me, let me just pull up the Jets. I'll pull up their calculator real quick, but... Off the top of my head, I think you you definitely you're gonna cut Corey Davis. You'll probably cut Carl Lawson. Um, you know, I I think you're gonna ask Lawson first about a pay cut. You might ask Davis about a pay cut. I just don't know if they'll be agreeable to it. Um, all right, let me pull up the calculator. So I am gonna say that you cut Lawson. I'll say that you cut Dwayne Brown. I'll say you cut Corey Davis. Um, that gets you up to about $29 million in cap space. Uh, I'm going to say that you cut off from C.J. Mosley at least $7 million. That gets you to thirty-five. dollars uh, You do a full restructure of Tomlinson. That gains you about six. So that gets you to forty-one in cap space. Um, I'm not going to touch Reed and Franklin Myers. You could. I'm not going to touch Uzama. I'm going to say Jordan Whitehead you might cut. You know, that, that's another seven. So now you're up to about $48 million in cap room. Um, Quinnen, you'll bring his number down, you know, by $2 million with an extension, give or take a little bit. So about fifty. Wilson and whatever. Uh, Berrios, you're going to cut. That saves you five, so we're at about 55. Um, 
So I'm going to say, yeah, you could get yourself to about 55 in cap room if you do all that kind of stuff. And you can get more. I just don't know if there's a point to uh, restructuring Reed and restructuring Franklin Myers. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, that's about what you would be. Um, you know, as for guys they bring back, uh, I don't think you need to bring any of these guys back. Hey, maybe Quincy Williams. You know, Quan Alexander, if the, the cost is low enough. But, you know, I, I'm just looking at their UFA list. I mean, I don't know. I don't really care about bringing any of these guys back. I mean, you'll, you'll tend to Bryce Huff, Bryce second round level. Um, so you lose three on that. You know, maybe you bring back zero line. You know, most of these guys, I don't care. Um, you know, about bringing them back. Uh, Garrett, are you comfortable with the move for Rodgers or does it not move the needle? I know you said Jimmy G or Carr didn't excite you in the past. Uh, I'd be okay with Rodgers. Um, I think, um, you know, Rodgers at least brings some kind of upside. Like, I don't see any upside with Carr. I don't see any upside with Garoppolo. So I think Rodgers brings upside. And I don't think the Jets have the juice to... Um, move up in the draft to be able to draft somebody. So while drafting is the best option, you know, I, I would probably say, you know what, if you're going to take a risk on it, um, you can take a risk on Rogers. It might blow up completely uh, from a salary cap perspective. I mean, for me, it's fun, <laughs> but you know, it, it's a, uh, I, I think it's a risk that you can take. Um, because I, I I just don't know if the young option is really there for you. Uh, NMH, do you have a chart of all the money teams have spent in the past seven years? This list doesn't have the past two. So this is a list from Spotrack. I wouldn't trust anything they have there, but who knows? Uh, I don't really keep this stuff online. Um, uh, let me see if we actually do our cash spending tables. One of these days, we'll put the the old stuff kind of in there. Um, I do these kind of things that this is like on a consulting basis. Um, you know, where we track like past history. I, I would imagine we don't do this for this, but, uh, you know, yeah, no. Uh, we'll track past history and I'll do stuff based on wins and, you know, how much those budgets have kind of translated to stuff. Um, so I, I don't have this up there. Um, right now, maybe one day we will, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't put that up there at the moment. I, I use that for private stuff we do. Uh, last question, I think at least Michael, would Aaron Rodgers to the Jets have to be a post June one move or no? No, it would not. You know, I kind of mentioned that before, but, uh, yeah, they, they should be able to do it before that, but I could see a scenario where the Packers ask to hold off on it for cap purposes and, um, uh, you know, that, that's just how that works out. All right. So I think that does it for me. Um, I guess this is what I get for not doing a podcast for like the last week and a half. So I think this is going to get the award for longest podcast of all time. So if you made it to the end of this, even if you made it in two or three sessions driving around, um, you know, good for you. I'm amazed by it because I wouldn't make it through it if it was this long. (laughs) So Anyway, hopefully uh, I'll get a chance to uh, record next week and, um, you know, we'll get a a feel for uh, what those teams are 
that are going to be in the Super Bowl. If I had a guess, so I'm probably going to get this wrong. I'm going to guess we get Eagles Chiefs, um, which probably means we're going to get 49ers Bengals. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll just say that I, I think we'll get Eagles Chiefs, though the Mahomes injury worries me a little bit. I, I just know from when uh, I was younger and I got one of those high ankle sprains. I, no matter how much you wrap that thing up, I really find that hard to believe, especially the way he plays, that you can play even remotely close to your usual level on that. But, um, you know, the, these guys, the the treatments they get is great, and I'm sure the shots that he's going to get in there are going to be pretty good. Um, so I guess we'll see. So anyway, uh, everybody have a great week, and hopefully I will talk to you all again soon.